Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. So I will open up uh, his mic. Thank you very much, Terry, for coming to the show. How are you? 
I'm doing quite well, except for a little cold. I hope my voice holds out, Robert. But thank you so much for uh, giving me an opportunity to speak this evening. So if it does um, this well, uh, you know, and being down in Florida, I know here in Ohio it's uh, it's been getting pretty cold. But <laughs> I was battling a, a cold myself not too long ago. It lingers a little bit. That's why I left Ohio. I'm sorry. It's cold up there. I said that's why I yeah, left oh, yeah. Ohio. It's cold up there. That's why. That's why my brother left Ohio. That's why you know so. He, he he left for a, a warmer uh, climate, too. But let's go ahead and, and, and get started. Uh, first, uh, for the audience who may not be aware of uh, your story or your background, let's go ahead and uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, your military background, things of that nature. Well, I, I started out, I guess, uh, from the military standpoint. In 1966, I was drafted. Um, they scared me rather badly about sending me to a place called Vietnam. I'd never heard of it before, and uh, I didn't really want to do that. So I joined up for next year to go to school and get a really important job. So uh, they put me in school for a little while. I went to Army Intelligence School at a place called Fort Holliburd, Maryland, uh, which doesn't exist anymore. It's... Uh, I was there for a couple of months, enjoyed it, but they pulled me out before I graduated sent me down to Fort Bragg, and uh, at Fort Bragg, I was at the JFK Center for Special Warfare. That's where the uh, uh, Special Forces were based, and I was attached to Special Forces in a a group called PSYOP, and PSYOP, of course, is uh, psychological operations. We did the propaganda work, and when I was sent to Vietnam in 1968, I was in the 7th PSYOP Battalion. Uh, stationed in Da Nang, we also had a division in uh, in Saigon and several other places around the, uh, the country. So that was my experience there. When I got out, I was uh, I, I kind of stayed in the PSYOP business. I was in marketing and advertising, uh, very closely related. That was an interest I had before they put me in PSYOP, and because I had a background in commercial art, that's why they put me there, so I could Help through the uh, the propaganda leaflets, uh, which we we dropped mostly in the China Sea, but a few of them got uh, blown over, I guess, onto the enemy, and they they used it for toilet paper. So I know they were grateful for the job that I did there. But that was my military. I did the three years. I got out in '69, which was the worst possible time to get out of the military. Uh, we were warned before we left Vietnam to get our uniforms off as quickly as possible because uh, American military were not very popular in this country. And uh, I learned pretty quickly that uh, nobody really appreciated the fact that we were over there. It's, uh, that was kind of disheartening. I had had uh, some military connection prior to that. I was uh, When I was uh, younger in high school, I went to a military academy, so I was well first in the military psyche and the attitude and the discipline and, and I I rather enjoyed it. Uh, in college I was uh, in an ROTC ranger group and we did the the tougher stuff and that was that was a good uh, good experience for me too and then of course in the military all that did me uh, in good stead. So I had the attitude that uh, when we were out there and wearing the uniform, we represented our country and we were 
who were fighting for truth and justice in the American way. Uh, I learned in Vietnam that was uh, uh, that was not the case at all. But that's another issue. And when I got out, I got back into my life, and I've done a number of businesses since then. My wife and I lived most of our lives in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, we spent 33 years there. My wife is a teacher. She retired at the end of 43 years of teaching. I, retur- wow. re- I retired in 2004, and uh, I had uh, I had owned a number of businesses down through the years. And my last business was quite a departure from anything I had done before. I was a bail bondsman, and I did that for eight years. I came out of retirement, my first retirement, and then got into that business, and uh, it was quite an interesting experience. But I retired from that, like I said, in 2004. My wife and I bought property over on the west coast of Florida, beautiful area, little Dixie County, uh, and that's where we started setting up our homestead and to live out our retirement. That's when I got into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what yeah, happened so for get... those who aren't aware of uh, my situation, and, and it's probably rather timely considering what's going on in Ferguson, Missouri, and, and New York City. Mm-hmm. If, if I may, what well, the the grand jury situation? I was I received a summons to come to court and uh, be considered as a member of a jury. I had done that a couple of times before in my life. I was on a civil case in Jacksonville, and I also sat on a grand jury in a federal case at the federal court there in Jacksonville. So I had the experience of being on a jury. I found it a fascinating experience. It made me feel good to do something for the community, and I always felt I did a good job on the jury. And I tried to look at the case from the standpoint of the accused. It was it was a, a, a very rewarding experience, and I expected the same thing here in Dixie County. When I got there, I discovered that I had been chosen to sit on a statutory grand jury for the county for six months. And uh, they asked for volunteers. I volunteered to be the foreman of the grand jury, so... In April of this past year, I am—I uh, became the foreman of the statutory grand jury of Dixie County, and my service was over, I think, on the 19th of October. And it was in the charge of that jury that I received my instructions from the judge, and a few of the things they told me to look out for primarily was political corruption, any other crime that was going on in the county, and any communistic activities, which I thought was an interesting phrase. I didn't expect to hear that in this day and time. Mm-hmm. But it's in the grand jury instructions uh, that are written by the Florida Supreme Court. Well, in uh, the course of thinking about what I was going to be doing in the grand jury, I started looking around. Now, grand jury members, their identities are secret. I couldn't reveal the identities of any of my fellow grand jurors, nor they mine. And um, I'm not quite sure the instructions were not real clear, and I've gone back and read them again, and they're still not very clear as to exactly how we're supposed to do this. But as far as keeping an eye out for crime in the uh, county, 
but the, the the situation was that to only investigate issues as a whole body. Now there are 21 people on a grand jury here in Florida, and how 21 people are ever going to get their schedule together and go about investigating <laughs> crimes, uh, especially in a small county, and keep it secret. Uh, they didn't explain that one. But I thought, well, I'll I'll just go out. I'll keep an eye out. And if I see something of interest uh, to the grand jury, since I'm foreman especially, I'll simply call them together. I'll present the idea to them or the issue and then let them make a decision if they want to investigate further and then take any action on it. The other responsibility we had was that if the state attorney came up with a case, he could give it to us and we would consider that. That would be the normal procedure. And that's generally what happens. I don't know of another grand jury that ever went out and investigated anything on their own, but I don't usually do the same thing that everybody else does anyhow. So after a couple of months on the grand jury, I had uh, come across some information that was brought to me by some, some people in the county and those people uh, had some serious concerns about an issue uh, that was taking place. Now, I can reveal this issue because it's already handled. It's out in the public. It was subsequently okay. handled. Good, because I do want to talk I, about that more. To, yeah, I'd like to talk about that more I, in detail later. Go ahead. I, certainly. Well, this is how I got in trouble. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> excuse me. The, it's okay. The, the situation arose that these people, like I said, brought this issue to me. They were very much concerned about bringing this issue out because of retaliation. Um, I didn't think there was much chance of retaliation, but I respected their wishes, and I said, okay, I will bring it before the grand jury. I will keep your name out of it. You won't have to come in as a witness. Just give me the details. I'll present it to the jury. And if they deem it worthy then uh, we may have to pull you in as a witness. And that's that was fine with them, but they didn't want to have their names out there just to be there. And what happened when I called the grand jury together, I, I went to the clerk of court, who was my first contact. Now, remember that a grand jury is an independent body. It is not controlled by the state attorney or the court. The state attorney is strictly there to help us if we need it, he is to perform, sir, or she is to perform certain identified functions like interrogating witnesses or questioning witnesses and swearing in witnesses and writing up any indictments that were to come from the grand jury. A grand jury produces a, a, an end product, if you will, called a true bill. Now, they'll make it either a true bill or a no true bill types of true bills that are presented by the grand jury if the grand jury starts the investigation itself or if it's brought to them by a member of the public it's called a presentment if the grand jury is given an issue by the state attorney that's called an indictment they're two entirely different things they do exactly the same function but you have to identify them separately so you know how they came about Grand jury cannot produce an indictment on their own. An indictment means you're going to be charged with a crime. The grand jury can develop a presentment on its own, which means, okay, here are allegations of criminality. 
and that's given to usually the state attorney. And the state attorney then will take those and perform an investigation, determine if there is indeed valid concern uh, for laws being violated, and then carry it from there. I mean, the grand jury has no enforcement authority. They have no powers of arrest. That's it. They produce a true bill or they issue a no true bill. So that's where the grand jury is. I had the issue to take before the grand jury. I called the clerk of court. Clerk of court was not able to call the grand jury together. She had to contact the state attorney. State attorney contacted me, and he was not terribly happy that I had uh, brought this, this, the fact that I had an issue up. He preferred keeping control over that himself. And what happened then, he finally granted me the opportunity to present this to the grand jury. We called them together, and it took about, oh, 10 days to two weeks to get that set up, and, and that's fine. There was no emergency involved in it. And when he brought it together, prior to bringing it together, he had contacted all of the members of the grand jury. He had checked with them to make sure they were going to be there, uh, he had excused several of them. All of those functions were my job as as foreman. Uh, mm-hmm. I was supposed to have done all that to verify that we had a quorum, et cetera, but he had taken that job from me and, and done it himself. So when I got to the grand jury meeting at the courthouse, all of that had been done, and he basically took over the entire process. Now, I had studied up on this. I wasn't going in there completely unequipped, and I knew what I was supposed to be doing, and I knew what his function was because I had looked it up in the state statutes. And there are two statutes that govern his control over it. One is in the 905 statutes, which is what controls the grand jury, and then the other is the 27, 27.03 is the one particular statute that controls his behavior from the state telling him what his job is. And the two statutes conflict. One says he, the one in the grand jury thing says that he absolutely has to be there during certain specific functions of the grand jury. And the instruction to him by the Supreme Court is that whenever the grand jury so determines, he can be there. So I informed him that there was no need for him to be there. We weren't going to be putting together any presentments that he would have to write. We had no witnesses. I was simply presenting an issue to them for their consideration. And he insisted on staying. Uh, He stayed. He stood behind me in the courtroom. He put the grand jury in the jury box, which is a bad place to put any uh, grand jury because they have a completely different attitude in the jury box they're looking for because of the, our, I guess, our acclimation to understanding the grand juries or the jury process, people, when they're sitting in that box, consider themselves to be petty jurors, and they're looking for guilt or innocence. And the grand jury mm-hmm. function is, is not in that neighborhood. So anyhow, during this, uh, my attempt to present this, he interrupted a number of times. He testified. He gave opinions. He interrupted the uh, my presentation. He was 
he was very actively involved in the process, and when I protested, uh, he was not very easy to deal with. So there were a number of things. Now, one of the instructions that was given by the judge when we were seated was that if we had irreconcilable differences with the state attorney, we were to turn to the court and that they would resolve those issues and replace that state attorney with another one. Well, after this session, I called the session over rather quickly, abruptly, because I realized how much involvement he had in it, and I knew that was not according to statute or according to the best interests of the grand jury. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wrote a seven-page report and presented it on the following. This was on a Friday that we met. I presented it on the, uh, the following Monday to the judge to let her know that I had had irreconcilable differences with the state attorney and something needed to be done. Well, after several days, she had not responded at all to my letter. In fact, I didn't find out till later that she had been replaced by the circuit chief judge. And he finally, I think it was seven days later, sent a, later, sent a letter to me through someone else, never addressed me directly, but did so indirectly that this other person should let me know that he had been available and I had erred by not reaching out to him when I had this problem with the state attorney. Well, at the time I had the problem, I didn't even know this guy was alive, let alone the presiding judge over at the grand jury. And until I got this letter from him, I had never been notified nothing. I thought I had the right judge in my sights when I handed her the, the letter. So that's where things started to go awry. I uh, I let uh, the judge wrote me a rather terse, uh, not me a letter, but he wrote this terse letter stating that it was my fault, that, I, that everything had gotten awry on it. And I wrote him back a letter. And uh, that's where we started going back and forth on this thing. I said, you know, you're supposed to be here to support me. You're supposed to resolve these issues. This is the grand jury. We're trying to do a job for you. And uh, you seem to be sabotaging our operation along with the state attorney. Apparently, he didn't like that. So anyhow, yeah, I, don't think. I, I, was, I was not concerned <laughs> they can't be for that for because they I, had, I still had an issue. I, now I had two issues. I got a state attorney, uh, a runaway state attorney that's trying to control the grand jury. And I had the original issue that the people had brought to me and had no way of of resolving either one of them because the court had refused to support me. And, the, of course, the state attorney was had taken another side completely. So I took the document to the clerk of court, and I filed it in the court documents. I had it recorded. That was a way to say, all right, I needed to memorialize what had happened there to protect myself I also, because in this report were allegations of about eight felonies committed by this state attorney in his zeal to control the jury, I uh, I took a copy to the sheriff and put a note on it. He was not in his office at the time. I put a note on it for him to please call me. I needed to talk to him about these issues. I never got a call from the clerk of court, never got a call from the sheriff. It just sat there. Well, 
I was aware of a group of people in town that had found out some information that some people were trying to put together a grand jury under common law. I didn't know much about it, hadn't looked into it, but I did know how to contact the people that were doing this. And I called them and I said, I got an issue here. And I said, I'm not sure what to do with it. I can't get the court to respond to me. Uh, The state attorney, of course, has already taken himself out of the picture. And I said, I don't know if it matters or not, but I have two issues that really need to get before a grand jury so I can take them off my hands and be done with this. And they said, well, we'd be glad to look at your issues. So they called their jury together. They had 25 people on their jury plus four alternates. They also had several investigators that they had uh, elected. And they gave me an opportunity to present my two cases, issues to them. I did. And from the information I gave them, they voted two true bills, two true bills of presentment. These were generated within the grand jury itself, brought to them by me, and those two true bills were taken to the courthouse. They were recorded, put into the official records of the courthouse, and copies taken to the sheriff. Done my job. Exactly what I was supposed to do. We produced the the presentments. We had the true bills, and we had given them to the appropriate authorities. I got within a day or two of that, I got a phone call from the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And I thought, wow, this is quick. They're going to come down. They're going to investigate these allegations of crime, and, and we'll get, maybe we'll get some action on the evildoers. Sorry, I'm drinking a little hot liquid while I'm doing this. Oh, no, that's working. okay. <laughs> do, what you, do what you need to so, do, Terry. So what happened from that point? Uh, we set up a meeting. I went in to meet with the uh, two investigators. I found that they were from the Domestic Terrorism Task Force, which I thought was kind of interesting. And I thought, well, you know, the state attorney, I guess that could be considered terrorism. And the other, uh, which I hadn't mentioned yet, the other issue that was taken before them was Common Core. And it was taken to them from the standpoint that Common Core curriculum is actually being forced on local counties through what people who gave it to me as was bribery. And their position was that the state of Florida and the federal government were using tax dollars to bribe the local officials to take on a a, a program that they didn't want. And Common Core is not well received, especially here in Florida. There's a lot of activity against it. Uh, I knew a little bit about it. I didn't know as much then as I do now, but uh, I knew that it was uh, a problem. I knew there were people around the state that were actively working against it. And I knew that the state was really working hard to get it into the state to the point where they had even changed the name of it to Florida Standards because Common Core had such a bad rap. I'm sorry? Yeah, we did uh, show in Common Core, and that was, I believe, one of the things that we brought up, is how they're just changing the names uh, of these. They're just just changing the name uh, from Common Core to something else. 
Right. It's all of it. They said, well, this isn't Common Core. It's Florida Standards. Uh, we don't have to worry about Common Core anymore. Well, common, all they did was put a different label on it. It's the same program. But right. what they were doing was they were holding these funds up and saying, okay, if you guys will cooperate, we're going to give you this money. Mm-hmm. So that was the viewpoint that we were presenting the Common Core situation that our local officials were being corrupted by state officials who were being corrupted by federal officials, and who the heck knew who was corrupting them? So ah, got it. that was the that was the position. It was very simple, and and had the state attorney allowed me to present this as I had planned to, nothing else would have probably come of it. I don't know that the grand jury would have considered the issue. I don't know anything. It's just his behavior created another problem that then made this very, very complicated. And after I talked to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, which was an interesting interview, they talked to me for two hours, I realized that they weren't there to solve problems. They were there to attack me when they asked the first question. Their question was, what Florida statutes are using to give you the right to form your own grand jury and present true bills. And I said, well, first of all, I don't get my rights from statutes. My rights come from God. My rights are secured in the Constitution if I have the nerve to stand up and defend them, and I promise you I do. They didn't like that answer. And... (laughs) Everything went uh, strange from there. Their whole interrogation was trying to figure out what crime could possibly fit what I had done because I explained to them it was not my grand jury. I didn't go out and create it. It was created by the people themselves. Uh, They were not sworn in by a judge because they're an independent body established under common law, as is the law of the land, under our Constitution, our U.S. Constitution, and the Constitution of the state of Florida. Well, none of this really made any sense to them because they didn't recognize the Constitution as a valid authority. Everything they did was centered around statutes, and every reference they made was statutes, and I explained to them that the statutes had nothing to do with the, the grand jury under common law. Now, the people who had formed this had called it the people's grand jury under common law, and that's the way they were going at it. That was their identity, and that's the way the true bills were presented. I signed the true bills because they asked me to to, uh, act as foreman for them for these two issues. Since I had brought them to them, they thought it was uh, the right thing to do to have my signature on them, and I had no problem standing up for the two issues. I felt very strongly about presenting both of them, and I knew the facts behind the cases, so I signed for them, which was probably a big mistake uh, in hindsight. Uh, That's how they used, well, they used my signature is the fact that I had committed these crimes, and the crimes themselves are quite interesting. I've done some study on them, and what I've learned is it's called the 843.com. 0855 statutes and out of these there are several sections three and four are the sections that I've been charged with I have 14 third degree felony counts 
on three different 843.0855 statutes. Uh, mm. 14, each one of them carrying five years sentence. This is what they've threatened me with, five years sentence. So I'm at 71 years of age, and they're threatening to put me in prison for 70 years, and uh, mm. which is problematic for me because I don't know what I'm going to do how am I going to get a job when I get out? I, you know, it's it's going to be a that's going to be a tough situation considering employment now. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, I'm I'm so I'm working under this this assault by the state attorney's office. Uh, he in a sense has had to recuse himself because of the charges I placed against him or the grand jury placed against him, and they replaced him with another state attorney out of uh, another district and another judge has had to step in from another district they both happen to be coincidentally from the same district they were placed in there by the supreme court and by the governor of the state now how the supreme court got involved in my prosecution i'm not sure but the judge that is presiding over my case is also involved in my prosecution so i've got two prosecutors no judge and no defense attorney. And the reason I don't have a defense attorney is because I can't find an attorney in the state or have been unable to so far who will commit to me that my defense is paramount uh, to them. Uh, Every attorney that I've talked to so far has either turned the case down because they don't want to get involved in the political aspects of it. Uh, They've explained to me they lose either way. If they win the case, they they lose with the the bar association and the judges and everybody else. They will be an outcast or a pariah in the mm-hmm. legal community. And if they makes you um, wonder how far this corruption goes up. Well, I, I'm learning very, very rapidly. They reveal themselves uh, quite freely, actually. Um, the, do they feel uh, like no one can do anything about it? Well, there's there are things we can do about it. This, it's an interesting uh, situation, Robert. The when you investigate these things a little deeper, and I've I've had to because I'm trying to figure out how in the world I'm going to defend myself against these charges. I have been uh, grossly discriminated against. My due process rights have been completely ignored and abused. Uh, I've been jailed twice. Uh, I spent 21 days the last time in jail. Uh, I was not given a first appearance, which is required under the state uh, court procedures. And the first appearance is within 24 hours of being arrested. You're to go before a competent magistrate of the jurisdiction uh, to have my bail considered. Now, having been a bail bondsman at one time in my life, I was familiar with the process, the qualifications, and how everything comes down on bail bonds. I knew that I was eminently qualified for uh, what would be a a, um, a self-bond or own recognizance release because I have assets in the county. I've never been arrested in my life. I have a completely mm-hmm. clean record. And I thought, well, number that's the first thing. I, I'm not going anywhere. My wife and I have been married for 47 years. Uh, we own property in the county. I'm a member of the community. I, I, my wife and I both uh, volunteer for local organizations. Very active in the community. A lot of people know me. 
and I, I'm not going anywhere. These charges I know are, are specious, and uh, why would I run? I mean, that's just not the way I do things. And <clears throat> but the judge was persistent the first time, and and uh, he made me bond out with a five thousand dollar bond, which is ridiculously low for at that time ten felonies. That's what they had initially charged me with. They have subsequently put another. 14 charges. Well, it's very confusing because I was never arrested on the 14 charges. Um, I was arrested on the 10. But I do have 14 charges against me, and they've never let me know if the 10 charges are part of the 14 or if the 14 is on top of the 10. So I may have 24 charges. I may have to do 120 years in prison uh, in order to get this thing behind me. So that's uh, that's the way the thing is done. I the first time I had an opportunity to go for arraignment. Now, arraignment, for those who aren't familiar with it, that's when you go before the judge and he tells you all the charges that are against you and you have an opportunity to plead on those charges. You can plead guilty, not guilty, uh, no contest, and or the judge can plead for you, which I find rather strange. Uh, but yeah. anyhow, I uh, the first arraignment I went to, I went in, uh, the judge started the session about uh, five minutes prior to the time, the arranged time, and never called the court to order. It was just chaos, people trying to come in and get seats and talking and everything. I didn't hear him when he called my name. And finally, somebody punched me. I have a hearing problem. Most people my age do, and especially if they've uh, been in the military. And... Uh, so I was having difficulty understanding what was going on. I couldn't hear anything that he was saying because of all the noise that was going on around me. And before I knew it, he had declared me not in the court, even though I had answered at least three times that I was there, mm-hmm. waiting for him to tell me what else to do, which I never heard anything. And um, the next thing I know, I'm being hauled out of court in manacles. And that was done three minutes before the court session was even to begin, scheduled to begin. So it was quite confusing for me. Yes, sir. And sorry for interjecting, Terry. And through my understanding, just through, uh, you know, the the research and what I've been, you know, told and read, is that, you know, you were in in the courtroom, he was calling for you, and you got, did you get arrested for failure to appear? That's correct. That's that was the charge. That's what I went to jail for for twenty one. But you were days. there. <laughs> they arrested you in the courtroom. <laughs> yeah, and that, that was kind of funny because the the deputies all there know me. I'm I'm a volunteer or was a volunteer. I've been fired since then because I'm a person of such disrepute now. Um, I was a volunteer with a local organization called the COP, a Civilian Observation Patrol, and we just direct. Uh, uh, traffic at funerals or around wrecks or whatever. It's just a volunteer group of guys that use their own vehicles, their own money, their own gasoline, and uh, we go out and help the sheriffs. We just help the deputies when they've got a situation they need need some additional people around. That keeps the sheriff's deputies from getting spread too thin on a lot of these things where it doesn't require an official uh, act to uh, support them. So anyhow... The deputies all knew me. They came right to me. The judge is pointing at me. The sheriff is sitting in the courtroom pointing at me. And they're arresting me for not being there. 
which I thought was a little strange. Ironic. So that's when I uh, I was denied my first appearance after that arrest, and um, they would not give me bail uh, because obviously I was such a dangerous person in society. And um, I went to jail for 21 days until they could schedule the next arraignment. And at that arraignment, I requested bail. They raised my bail, even though the judge at that time admitted that there was no, that I had not failed to appear. Um, and uh, he raised my bail. You were in jail for something he admitted that you didn't do. Correct. Yeah. And he, oh, he withdrew the charge. What's the reparations for that? Well, um, we'll, we'll find out. I, I don't. I don't know what they might end up being, but there's there's so many interesting things that have gone on in this case, and when you see the paperwork on it, it'll make your head spin. Because there's so much of this thing that just absolutely does not make sense. There's an order from a judge that nobody has been able to explain to me what it means. The explanation of my charges on the information that the state attorney. Uh, issued over two weeks after my arrest. Now, my understanding, the way this works is that the um, there's a complaint received by the state attorney's office. This is the normal process. And based on the state attorney's review or investigation of the the allegations and the factors surrounding the complaint, he will develop an information which is presented to a judge and the uh, warrant is, uh, is written up. And the warrant makes no sense. One was signed by the sheriff. Well, actually, it wasn't signed by the sheriff. It was signed by the sheriff's deputy. But he wrote the sheriff's name in on the blank. <coughs> Excuse me. And a, a warrant, as you probably know, has to be signed by a judge or it's not valid. So I was arrested without a valid warrant, which means I was kidnapped. The charges were not clearly stated. The accusation was not stated in a manner that anybody, I had a 20-year judge, a friend of mine, um, who looked at it. He said he just shook his head. He said, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. So nobody's been able to figure out exactly what these charges are. They said I was impersonating a public officer. I don't know how that could be. I was the grand jury form. Um, they said that I was simulating legal process. I'm not sure how they came about that. This is called the nature and cause of the charges, which are guaranteed under the Sixth Amendment of the Constitution. They refused to give me the nature and cause of the charges. I was also charged with intimidating public officers under color of law. Now, I don't know. Just okay, ask the sheriff. To, well, I... What it means is, and this is what people were doing at one time, and it's called the derivation of law. I looked it up. I wanted to find out who did what to cause the legislature, the state legislature, to write these laws. And back in the 80s, this is my understanding, <clears throat> there were a group of people who were having a great deal of trouble with the judiciary. And their only way of retaliating, since you can't go back at anybody in the judge business, uh, they would file liens. And sometimes they would sign public officials' names to these liens. Uh, they would lean, lean against the public officials they had arguments with or problems with. 
and they'd file them in the the uh, with the clerk court into the court records. <clears throat> now, I don't think anybody got any money out of any of these liens, but they did cause a lot of aggravation uh, by public officials. So uh, that was what was going on. So they write up all these laws to protect themselves from us. Hmm. I don't know how that people. works. Yeah. And, uh, gee, maybe they'd have to start living up to their responsibilities and um, suffering the consequences of their bad decisions. Wouldn't that be terrible? So, anyhow, that's how these laws came about. I didn't file any liens. I didn't even intimidate any public officials, yet they said I did. Uh, that's because public officials were named in the true bills. All I did was hand it to the sheriff. It was up to him to take it from there. If he wanted to go question him, fine. If he wanted to bury it in his desk, fine. That's I mean, That was not my job. That's one of the things that the FDLE investigators kept asking, sir. Are you going to go out and arrest these people? Or are you going to hold trials? What are you going to do, execute these people if you find them guilty? I mean, they, they threw stuff at me that was just absolutely insane. And I, I thought when they came in there, they were going to start investigating the crimes that were presented to them by the grand jury. And instead they were Not investigating me. Making, <laughs> absolutely. So anyhow, that's, uh, that's when I got branded with uh, reporting a crime as a crime. And they called me the Dixie County whistleblower. Well, I, I don't really care these uh, carry these labels very well. All I did was what I thought was my job, uh, mm-hmm. and all I asked them to do is their job. In fact, that's what I asked them several times. Course of the interrogation, they said, "Well, what do you expect us to do with any of these things?" I said, "Look, I'm giving you the allegations of crime. Here's the information on it. Do your job." And they didn't like that either. So that's where the whole thing came down. And now I'm, I'm, uh, I've got a court date on the 12th of December uh, for what they call a Ferretta hearing. Ferretta hearing is where they're going to determine whether I have uh, the mental faculties to stand trial and to present myself. I've requested of the court that I present sui juris, which is in my natural right. Um, this is it is my right under the Constitution and under that's the U.S. Constitution and the Constitution of the State of Florida. So uh, I feel that that's my best opportunity. <coughs> Excuse me, since I, especially since I can't find a, an attorney that will represent me. So I'm just preparing everything myself as best I can. I'm doing the research. Thank God we've got Internet. I can go online and look up statutes and that sort of thing. And I'm mm-hmm. preparing all my documents. I've prepared, prepared all my motions, um, my objections, et cetera, so far. So I'm, uh, I feel like in the next couple of weeks I'll be ready to sit for the bar exam. Um, I'm just having <laughs> to learn this stuff to protect myself from the, the charges. And I don't know of another way to do it. I take it very seriously. Uh, yes, sir. Can you go outside the state and get a lawyer that's not in uh, Florida who wouldn't feel any kind of repercussions of doing, if, you know, defending yeah, only, you inside only, the state? Only if he will get approved by the Florida Bar to represent me. Now, they really want me to have a lawyer. They haven't been able to figure out how they're going to solve this conundrum uh, where they've made this case so ridiculously, obviously political, and that's why a lot of the attorneys don't want to touch it. Uh they um, 
and then they're putting me in the position where they're telling me that I have to have an attorney, and I, I don't know. I don't trust these people already. Uh, they've they've okay. tried me tried to get me to sign papers. Um, interesting thing, when I went to jail, the first thing they did was take my glasses away because uh, I guess my glasses could be used as a weapon. I, I hadn't quite figured out how to do that yet. <laughs> then when you know so what you were signing. That, well, uh, I have a feeling that was it, but they they took my glasses away <laughs> and then handed me a stack of papers and said, sign these. And I said, you just took my glasses. I can't read without my glasses. They said, well, we we need to get these documents signed. And I said, I'm not signing anything until I read it. And for that, they branded me as being belligerent. And I did it oh just like that. I said, this is silly that, you know, I, I, how, how do you do this? How do you take a man's eyes away from him and then tell him to read something? Well, that didn't get me... Uh, didn't make me very popular with the officers in the jail. And I, I, but I just, I knew that there was something wrong. I knew there was a lot of things wrong with everything that they were doing to me. Uh, I did not have a grand jury hearing. This is my Fifth Amendment right. Uh, and I demanded it. I said, I, I need a grand jury. A grand jury has not uh, done a presentment or an indictment on me. Uh, you have no authority to arrest me. And I, and I told them that the warrant was not right. Well, all of this is like, well, those are, yeah, well, maybe so, but it doesn't matter because you committed these crimes and you're going to jail. And so I was guilty, and actually they were stopping me from trying to prove my not guilt, and that's where I was. It was just, it's a really horrible situation to be in. And I, I don't know how many of your listeners may have been in a similar situation, but I, I had no shame in anything I did. I didn't feel like I did any wrong by anybody. I thought I was serving my, my uh, job as best I possibly could under some very difficult circumstances. I had been betrayed by the state attorney, by the court, by the clerk of court, and by the sheriff all of them who had sworn to do their job to protect me and support me, and they all turned their back on me. And I said, this is, this is untenable. There's no reason why this should be happening. And that's where I am at this point. There's, I'm having to do an awful lot of research, and fortunately I've got people from all over the country. I, I can't tell you how many phone calls I get. I had one just 10 minutes before coming on air a man in mm-hmm. California with a real estate issue with the courts. And I'm finding out how really outlaw the courts are. They're doing things to people totally outside the statutes. They're outside the Constitution. They're outside the law. But they get away with it because the people are ignorant of what's going on and what their true rights are. And instead of getting educated, busy- they just... In, 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 the, in my opinion, they're too busy roaming the streets protesting because a, a grand, you know, a grand jury decided to find a police officer and not indict him for killing someone who just five minutes before, some minutes before, was strong, did a strong-arm robbery, and people want to pay attention to be a part of, of that. And, and, you know, against, you know, you just <laughs> get me started on that. We talked about that last week. Yeah. Well, I, I, since you brought that up, 
I want to give you an observation. Having made myself a bit of an expert on grand juries, uh, I want to bring up a point. We have the grand jury in Ferguson. The grand jury in Ferguson is a statutory grand jury under their district attorney. District attorney, state attorney, same thing, just different state and different name. Now, what that state attorney did was he took all of the evidence and he handed it to the grand jury. He gave them a list of the possible charges they could apply and left it with them, left them to deliberate, to investigate, to do their own questioning on everything that was done there. Now, that was a man who turned this awesome responsibility and duty over to people and said, do with it the best you can, and they did. And they came out with what can only be considered a just verdict, regardless of the fact that certain people didn't like that verdict. They had all the information they needed. They had more information there than the people on the street did that were rioting, and they made an intelligent and caring decision. Now, you've got the situation in New York, and this is where people need to understand the differences in the way grand juries are controlled or given free reign to do their job. In New York, you've got a state attorney or a district attorney. You've got 12 people, and I believe it's 12 in New York. It was in uh, Ferguson. In Florida, it's 21 people. Under the uh, common law, the grand jury is 25 people. And But in New York, came back with a verdict that everybody is upset about. And they're upset about it because the district attorney controlled all the information that went before those people. And there was a very famous New York prosecutor who made the statement, and I've heard this all my life, with a grand jury, I can indict a ham sandwich. And his point was, Mm -hmm. grand juries are a tool for the prosecutor. They can only deal with the information the prosecutor gives them. The prosecutor determines what information he gives them, and they make their decision based on that. So that grand jury, in order to come out with that that final true bill, they could have only done that based on that, that prosecutor's information. They did exactly what that prosecutor wanted. And Ferguson that grand jury did what they thought was best according to the information they had. Now, both of them did that, but the one in New York didn't have the information. That's the difference in the two, and that's what happened in Florida, here in Dixie County, with this grand jury under the statutes and the difference being the grand jury under the people. And with that, you see the contrast, and you see what happened. You can't have a grand jury that is not totally independent of the state attorney and the court. They will pervert it every time. So that's unbelievable. And all this is supposed to be for we the people, but it doesn't quite sound like it does it. Well, yeah, you're right, and I, I, it's interesting some of the feedback that I've gotten from people on this. Uh, people have criticized what I did. They said, well, you know, the, the people can't decide these things. They're not. Who are they? They don't have any authority. And I bring it back to them that the people are the, the sovereigns of these nations. We were this nation. We were sovereign when we 
we broke away from the king. We all became kings. We just have no serfs. Uh, we're kings of our own domain, and uh, our domain stops where another man's domain starts. So they're, they're thinking in terms of exactly what the brainwashing has guided them to believe, is that unless somebody carries an official title, uh, they have no substance. They have no, there's no need to even listen to them. All of the papers that right. filed by the, the People's Grand Jury in Dixie County have subsequently been removed from the records, the county records, in the courthouse. Now, there are federal laws and there are state laws that tell you that once a record is accepted and put into the court records, you cannot remove it. It's, it's, a, it's a serious violation. You go to prison for it. Yet every single document that I filed, and I've got all the copies of the blank pages where they took my documents out. I've even got mm-hmm. two documents that I put in making allegations of criminality that were removed and replaced with other documents from a completely different case, not even related to me or anything that the, the People's Grand Jury had done. And, I mean, these are felonies. And I've reported these felonies to the sheriff, and these were committed by the clerk court, and not a thing has been done. So they're very selective about what statutes they enforce. And uh, that's problematic to me, especially considering what they're threatening to do to me and my wife. Mm-hmm. Yes, certainly. You know, normally I like to you know keep things as local as possible. You know, however, it sounds like, you may have to try to go if it's even possible to go outside of the state in order to uh, either get a defense or, or get somebody to look and see what kind of corruption is going on uh, over there in your locality. Uh, but I do want uh, to see what's about the top of the hour. So first what I'm going to do is I'm uh, we're going to hear from the Patriot Journalist Network, and then after that I'm going to be bringing our panelist Dan in. Uh, but first let's hear from the Patriot Journalist Network. You're not just listening to a show, you're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at patriotjournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. And Terry, I think uh, you might want to check the, the site out, and perhaps I'm going to try to get a hold of uh, Mark Prasik, who is the founder uh, and good friend uh, of the Patriot Journalist Network. And perhaps uh, what they do on occasions is do uh, what they call you know, Twitter events or Twitter, bo- uh, Twitter bombs, and uh, which are generally pretty successful. They've you know, of getting the word out. And I see you do have a hashtag. It's uh, justice for Terry. Perhaps we can uh, see if he can get something going within the next week or so uh, with, uh, at least try to get something going before the 12th uh, on there. So I'll I'll make my attempts to contact him and go ahead and check out the Patriot Journalist Network. And uh, perhaps we can, you know, see if there's anything that can be done there. Uh, But first, and and actually I'll probably try to contact him or at least send them an email with uh, tonight's link uh, while we're talking with Dan. 
So, Dan, thank you very much uh, for coming to the show. How are you tonight, bud? Exhausted as usual, but uh, somehow energetic. Yeah. Everybody keeps telling I'm me. Starting to get back in my eyes. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, I need some said, uh, said uh, or was it Chico said, "Help me with these bags," and he says, "You take the blonde, I'll take the one in the turban." Uh, but listening to Terry Trussell, I have to tell you, not only is this man a great patriot and an amazing, amazing, just in every way, I love this guy, personal friend, but. He is the only man I ever listened to on the radio that I like to listen to the voice. Uh, I like his voice better than mine. You, you just sound awesome. And with a cold, it's even better. <laughs> thank, thank you, Dan. That's, uh, I consider that high praise coming from you. I've, I've always respected everything that you've done, especially your writing. And uh, your speaking is, uh, it's, it's, I consider it to be uh, right at the top. So thank you very much. You. I appreciate that. Well, we've been trying... Uh, I've been putting out the word to a number of sources to try and get a good lawyer, a great lawyer for Terry. And so far, we haven't been able to get anything. Uh, uh, friends, the situation is this. Most of the people in the legal profession don't care about justice and don't know a damn thing about the Constitution. It's a sad, sad state of affairs. And this came about when they stopped looking at constitutional law and they stopped teaching that. And they started teaching case law. Well, case law means nothing. It just means somebody made a decision once, and you're citing it as a precedent, saying, well, they said it was so. Remember when you were a kid, and, and your mom asked you, well, if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? Now, if you're a kid, sure you would. But we're adults now, and we're not supposed to be mobs, and we're not supposed to have cronies, and we're not supposed to have corruption in our public institutions. It's not just the legal profession. I'm not just saying that. I'm not saying all lawyers are bad. Think about doctors that you know. How many of them are true healers? And how many of them are just in it for the money or some for the power? Same with teachers. There are still great teachers. But what we've got right now, folks, and it's our own fault, is a situation where the entire country, every major organ of power, every organization, the churches included, has been corrupted, and the corrupt are the ones who are running it. Now, it's not going to be an easy fight, and there's going to be people like Terry and like other friends of Mars who, who step forward, sometimes intentionally. Uh, they throw themselves into that maelstrom, and sometimes they just get thrown under a bus, and it's not their fault, but they're not going down without a fight, and they may not go down at all because we've had some signal successes in the last couple of years. So if there are any attorneys listening out there, and I have, I'm sending this link to some other people I know as well, who are, besides the one you and I discussed, who I won't mention him on the air, but he's, uh, he's really awesome and uh, really busy. Um, so hopefully somebody's going to be uh, joining this, this fight for Terry, justice for Terry soon, because it's not just about one man. What they do to one is what they'll do to all. And you'll notice, folks, that they don't just go after the weakest among us, the least capable among us of protecting ourselves. It doesn't make you bad if you're just not a fighter. No, they're going after our best people. They're going after our top people. We had Charlie Strange on this show not long ago, and I've seen him several times since. They're going after him, the father of a Navy SEAL who was a SEAL Team leader, that SEAL Team 6 that took out bin Laden. They're doing that. Because they can, and because, quite frankly, the sheep in our society, the good people who are just not fighters, 
don't present much threat all by themselves. Those fighters, those organizers, those leaders, those people who stand up on their hind legs and make a noise, those people who take a blow and then give back double, those people are dangerous. Terry is 71 years old, and he's a dangerous man. He was joking about that. And I'm not saying that, that this guy is going to go and, I don't know how you would, well, I could think of, you could probably break the glass and cut somebody with your glasses. Maybe if it was very sunny out, you could take the glasses, and if they would hold still long enough, you could, you could like, catch them on fire or something, you know, like, like with a magnifying glass. Um, but he is a dangerous man because he thinks for himself, because he's done his research and his homework, and because he doesn't back down from the fight. I met Terry Trussell because of Operation American Spring. Uh, folks, he was the uh, chief of staff for Operation American Spring, May 16th is when it started this year. I don't think it's ever really ended because there's an Operation American Freedom going on there now. There's been an ongoing presence and all those people who I met in Washington from all those disparate groups, religious groups and atheists and and anonymous and Southern Baptists and militia and uh, mainstream Republicans and people who thought that they used to be Democrats not that long ago and, and all these different people, people who are you know, their main issue is Common Core or, or anti-abortion or whatever it is, uh, have joined together and they're going out in the world. And, and you notice that there's a lot more activity lately. Well, it isn't that there's more activity alone. It's that there's more coordinated activity. All these different people represent different groups, and we're all working together. And what we have to do, what we must do, even though some of us will fall and some of us will be sacrificed, it's unfortunate, but that happens in every fight, what we must do is stand up and fight. When somebody steps up against the enemy, the enemy being statism, being corruption, when they stand up, we can't let them fight alone. We cannot let Terry fight alone. Justice for Terry is a great hashtag, and we'll be using that on Twitter, and I, I'm sure Mark Prasik if, uh, is, I mean, he's a Twitter genius. I just, I don't know what the heck I'm doing on that thing. It just seems to work, sort of, I guess. A, a lot of people and like I it. I just sent him an email, uh, too, Dan. Awesome. But uh, Terry is also going to need some funding, right? Um, there is a GoFund, uh, Terry, I think you have a GoFundMe or something like that? Yeah, it's uh, GoFundMe, uh, Justice for Terry. Um I'm not sure what that address is, but it's a, if you go to the GoFundMe site and you put in uh, Justice for Terry, uh, it comes up, and, and it, it is appreciated. And I, I'll tell you, I've been really gratified uh, by the number of people. And, you know, small donations, doesn't it doesn't matter because it does add up. And every penny has helped my wife and myself. We, we're on a fixed income. We didn't uh, retire extremely wealthy. And uh, but we can we can get by, but the extraordinary expenses of of having to prepare for this thing and the fact that our attention is diverted from our normal lives has uh, has really had a devastating effect on us financially. So that the help that we're getting from people is is greatly appreciated. And I want to mention about lawyers because we were talking about them before, and I hope somebody does step up awfully damn quick. The lawyers I know who are true. Uh, what's the word, officers of the court who, who uh, abide with their oath to the Constitution, the oath keepers among the legal profession, are unfortunately a relatively small percentage of the current crop of attorneys. They're not all corrupt, but they go along to get along. 
and they don't want to make waves. The good ones are incredibly overworked. They aren't making very much money at all, especially compared to what they could be making. Um, I'll mention one. I'm not trying to embarrass anyone, so that's why I'm not mentioning any potential attorneys for Terry on the program as if I'm trying to shame them into anything. I'm going to mention an attorney who I know cannot take your case. He's in Pennsylvania. He's not permitted to practice before the bar in Florida. He has no expertise in this particular matter whatsoever, and he would say so. He is the preeminent firearms lawyer here in Pennsylvania, Joshua Prince. He's a friend of mine. This guy is awesome. And he's, you know, I think I'm working hard. Oh, my God, I'm putting in 100-hour weeks and plus. He works harder than I do. And he's got a staff of people, and he has to pay them, and he's got overhead and expenses, and it costs you money to file, and it costs you money to appear, and it costs you money to do research, and it costs you money to depose people, and everything costs money. And a lot of what he does, he can't charge anyone any money because they don't have any money. So any kind of help that a lawyer like that can get helps them fight that good fight. Now, when Terry does retain the services of a competent attorney who understands the Constitution and who is not afraid to make enemies of the status quo, the powers that be down there in, uh, I think it's Dixie County, Florida, that attorney still has to pay their bills. And if they're not from the immediate area, they're going to have to pay for a hotel. They're going to have to fly. They're going to have to rent a car. They're going to have to have all kinds of other information available to them, which means they're going to have to have a paralegal. It's going to cost some money. Now, granted, it doesn't have to cost millions and millions and millions of dollars. You don't have to have some gigantic F. Lee Bailey you know, debacle like the, some of the show trials we've seen with, with celebrities. But it does take full-time work of a team. So if you can spare anything at all, and and you think that this cause is worthwhile, do a little more research if you like. Everything is, Terry has ever told me is true, and everything he's told you tonight is absolutely true and verifiable. He's, you'll note that when he makes an error, he admits it. When he says that maybe he could have done something different or, or would like to have done something different, would like to do something different, um, that's honest. An honest person admits that they're not perfect. And, and I, you know, there's only been one perfect person that I've heard of, and I don't think any of us have ever met him in face-to-face. So, anyway, Bob, um, I was wondering, is Kelly, has Kelly called into the show yet? Because uh, he knows grand juries. Hello? Oh, it's just you and me. Oh, my goodness. Bob must be multitasking. <laughs> I, am, what we all do. I am multitasking. I am actually, yeah, I'm actually was uh, writing an email to Stuart Rhodes, who is uh, the founder of the Oath Keepers. Stuart's an awesome guy. We've had him on the program uh, not that long ago, and I'm in fairly frequent contact, uh, almost constant, with some of the Oath Keepers here in Pennsylvania. Larry Liguori is an excellent guy, um, and uh, was just with a number of them last week. Was it last week? It's only a week ago? I think it was. No, two weeks ago. That's right, Thanksgiving, um, in another county not far from here at uh, Berks County Patriots, um, which, by the way, friends, if you're uh, folks, if you're out there and you have local groups, now, 
Terry is not going to be traveling to your local groups to give a presentation, but it doesn't hurt to share this information live. It's one thing to see something on Facebook or to read a story on an alternate news site or to uh, you know, get a, a, a tweet that you click, oh, that's interesting, but it's not as real as something live. So when you relate this, when you're having your meetings, I'm going to be at a meeting uh, next week with uh, some state senator and some other people uh, in person, not just on the radio and on uh, all these electronic media. And when I'm there, and it's my turn because, you know, I always end up standing up. I can't help myself. <laughs> I just talk too much. But uh, when it's my turn, I'm going to be certain to mention Terry's case and let everybody know where they can find out more information and these people help every single time that we've had any kind of gathering and we ask for help for somebody who deserves it. The American public is extremely generous. I mean, not those people out there necessarily who are on the government tit and just want to take. There are some of them. I, I have hope for them. I wish they'd come back into being more American. But there's still a lot of us out there that do what we can. Now, some people have time. The retirees, for instance, have more time. Um, parents whose kids have grown up, the, the people uh, who, who maybe can't work because of their medical condition, but they can do something. And some of us have money. I don't, but I know people that do, and they do their part. They help. And, and some of us have expertise. If there's something that you feel that you can add to Terry's situation, that you can help, feel free to contact me, and I will pass the information along to Terry after I vet you, because if, if we, we just had a, a situation here I'll mention just very briefly in Pennsylvania that actually made national news. So there are some crazies out there. Mark Kessler was a sheriff from a town that's about, oh, I don't know, 10 miles from my, my, uh, my little town here in Schuylkill County, Pennsylvania. He's the guy who went on YouTube about a year and a half, two years ago with machine guns, police chief, uh, shooting pictures of Nancy Pelosi and cursing up a blue streak. He just went on uh, Mr. Alan Combs' program and uh, admitted that he has been a, uh, a volunteer federal informant among the liberty movement, trying to, to, uh, to see who he could get. And there have been some people who have been got. And some of them may have deserved, they may have been dangerous in a bad way, and some of them may not. But... Uh, you got to be really careful. So if you do present information to me, I'm going to listen to you. But be for real. So if you're not for real and you present information to me, I will find out. And I'll present that information to everybody. So just don't waste my time. Uh, if you're a good person and you really do want to help, Terry could use the assistance. There are a lot of good fights out there. Um, I don't endorse all of them personally and get involved personally because – it's a question of not just time, but of absolute knowing that it's a worthwhile fight, knowing that this is 100%, that there's not going to be any, any strange surprises coming out, that, that the story is what it's supposed to be. And Terry's situation is for real. So I was just wondering, Bob, if you're there, if Kelly is on the line. Um, I am is Kelly? No, he is not, yeah. and I actually got a... A text oh. from him. I texted him earlier, and our friend Kelly, who uh, is our constitutional scholar here, and uh, I would say expert on the grand jury, since he has written a book on it called The Hidden Fourth Branch. Uh, check it out, folks, on Amazon, uh, or check out—I uh, don't know if he's still at the website, but it may be 
hiddenforthbranch.com, but I know you can see the uh, find the book on Amazon. It's called The Hidden Fourth Branch. But Kelly is actually hosting at a homeless shelter right now. Oh, so uh, he did text me and let me know. Uh, that's why he's uh, not joining us this evening, which would have been a great show, of course, for him. Uh, but I guess it was an impromptu uh, volunteering, and, and we'll get some more information from him if he's able to come on later on tonight or uh, next week's show. I uh, we definitely want to hear more about that. So uh, that's one of the panelists here uh, out there helping some, some folks during this holiday season, this Christmas season. So that's what Kelly's up to. Well, I was also hoping because, uh, you know, now Terry, has he's a wonderful speaker, and he went at length. And I know he's got a cold, so his voice is sort of cracking a little bit. And I don't want to just talk and talk. Well, I love to, but uh, I'm afraid people will just fall asleep. And that's not very good results. So uh, do we have anybody else who is called in or available right now, Bob? Well, uh, right now I see us, and then I also see uh, Cindy there uh, in the chat, and also see Tessa and Harriet. Hello, uh, folks. Uh, also well, Cindy other, and Harriet are from Florida. Just their guests. Yeah, Cindy's in Florida, so it would be interesting to, to, to see her take on what's going on down there. I know we've talked with uh, Cindy in the past on – uh, you know, things going down there in her neck of the woods. Uh, so, you know, perhaps uh, Cindy will get you get you on when you, you call in here. I know you had some things that you were doing uh, before, but I'm glad to see that uh, you're here now. So we'll be bringing in. I'm getting yet another text, but I don't know if that's from Kelly or, or whoever. You know, <laughs> Dan, I do uh, so much multitasking here while I'm, while I'm hosting the show as well. I'm still trying to get a hold of Mark Prasic, uh I'm going to send him something on Twitter as well to see if I could get a, a hold of him. Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, one of the can, most you know, satisfying the things. Patriot Journalist Network. I'm sorry? I was saying one of the most satisfying things of all the activities that I'm involved with is not the, the big hoopla. It's the small private moments when I'm able to facilitate two different people or two different groups um, meeting and assisting each other. And this cross-pollination is just amazing. And the, the creativity that comes out of it. When we were at American Spring, Operation American Spring last year, there were people of so many different walks of life and so many different backgrounds. It wasn't all military guys. It wasn't all militia guys or anonymous guys. It was a mix. And we're all hanging out together. You know, the, the freaks and the straight people. The, you know, the... the uh, churchgoers, as I said, in the atheists, and we're hanging out, and we're, and we're just talking, and everybody felt like talking, honestly. And the cross-pollination of ideas, people started to realize why the other person's issue mattered so much. And also, the tactical advantages. Um, James Neighbors, who's a frequent uh, visitor on this show, uh, you know, on the panel, um, his ideas, he, he sees things so clearly and simply, and in ways that work, um, were so useful to so many other groups that they, they they started adopting those tactics for their own. And they say that uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Um, now, I am an ex-progressive, so I imitate uh, Cloward and Piven and uh, Alinsky and Marx and all the rest of those things up to the point where they lie, cheat, and steal. That's dishonorable. It's not acceptable. But all the other things, you see, folks, they didn't invent this stuff. Corruption was not invented 
in the last 100 or 200 years. And uh, the politics, the way that, that people interact with each other in, in games that deal with, with power and with money, that wasn't invented recently either. These people who are running things now, they are not really that smart. They're just playing by a playbook. That playbook works for us, too, provided we don't lie. It took them forever to get us to this point. It took them a long time to drag the U.S. to this point, bit by bit, because they had to lie. They're still lying. Obama doesn't come right out and say the stuff that he really means and wants to do, occasionally in unguarded moments, or if you're able to understand by looking at his actions in relation to what he says, sure. But he doesn't come right out and say, oh, yeah, I want to be a king. We don't care about that, any of you. We don't care how many of you die. We don't care how many of you are poor. We just basically want all the power we can, and we're going to do anything underhanded we can to get it. He doesn't say that. So we have a big advantage because we can do our work openly provided we stay straight as long as we don't lie, as long as we don't cheat or steal. I have had friends within the liberty movement tell me jokingly, and I'm not sure if they were joking because we all get a little desperate, uh, last November 3rd, right before the election, well, I'm going to go vote ten times. You know, my my uh, grandpa's dead, but I'm going to vote in his name. And you know what, folks? Don't even think about it. Every single person that does something wrong reflects on the group that they're a part of. Now, if you've got the mainstream media covering for you, 100%, they'll bury any story, and then if it does come out, they'll manage to to uh, spin it in some kind of semi-positive way. I mean, look at the Gruber situation recently. They're still not reporting that on the mainstream news in the main. And when they do, they really just touch on it and just kind of uh, don't even look at the meat of the matter. But if you're on our side, I guarantee you step out of line. We had a guy who was a really good guy who was running for a local political office. I'm not mentioning his name because he's still dealing with his legal ramifications, and it was no setup. He was driving, and he'd had a few drinks, and he shouldn't have been, and out stepped a deer onto the highway. And uh, I would assume his normal reactions would probably be pretty good, but because he was slightly impaired, he crashed his car. Now he's crashed his car, and he's been drinking, and he was over the limit. If he was one of the cronies, that would have been buried. Nothing would have happened to him whatsoever. Oh, but he's not. So that was a big deal, and, and his candidacy ended, and he's still dealing with this. Um, so don't don't even think about uh, playing the game in a dishonest fashion just because that's what our enemies do. In fact, that may be the biggest thing that's led us down this horrible path we're on right now is the fact that we've had to fight some really, really nasty enemies. We fought communist China. We fought Soviet Russia. We fought Nazi Germany. When we fight against these people, the temptation is to, to do whatever it takes. And we did some pretty nasty things. And that didn't just end with World War II. If you look at what our government did, to our own people even, in some of those experiments, and this is not wild conspiracy theory. This is all open and documented stuff in the 50s, in the 60s, and on. Our government has now been co-opted by the same sorts of people who were, we were fighting against in World War II. And it's not just the big fights we have to fight. 
It's the little ones that don't seem like they matter a lot to your personal life. You don't know Terry personally. I do. You, you don't, you've never been to his county in Florida. You're not going to be sitting on a grand jury or be a grand jury foreman. What's it matter? Well, I'll tell you what it matters. What it matters is if they're going to go after a guy like that, what's going to ever protect you? You better stand up for him. It's like Charlie Strange's son, Michael. He was a SEAL team guy. He was top. Mm-hmm. Dude, this is, these are the guys that did the best in the world. There's nobody that's as good as them. So you're never going to be a SEAL team guy. Hell, in my prime, when I was an awesomely bad dude, I mean, I was mean, lean, and absolutely just, just terrifying as a young thug. Um, unfortunately, that's my past. But when I was, I was nothing compared to a Navy SEAL. They could have broken me with their little finger and not even broke a sweat. I know this because that's how good they are. And if they can do that, and they have done that to our best, the reason they're doing that is because it takes away anything that protects us. It makes us all vulnerable. Well, I am definitely uh, going on too long here, so. And we've got Cindy so with uh, Cindy on the line, but first, before we bring oh, awesome. Cindy, I got a, me- a message here from Tina Griffin uh, from Facebook, who uh, we've promoted some of the things on the show with, and she puts, "Wowzers! I just read the story. These government employees are really getting way too full of themselves, passing it on." So thank you very much, Tina. We appreciate uh, you paying attention and uh, passing it on to uh, other folks uh, for this message. Uh, but first, let's go uh, next, I should say. Let's go ahead and bring on Cindy. Thank you very much, Cindy, uh, who's from Florida herself. Uh, thank you for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Well, I'm doing great, um, and I uh, appreciate you guys being on the show tonight and getting this information out because apparently those guys down there are doing a really good job of keeping this quiet because I have not heard a thing about it. What county so, are you in? Uh... I'm in Volusia. And where is that in relation to Dixie County? I think I'm north of you. You're you're down south, right, in South Florida? No, no, I know Volusia County very well. Volusia County is south of Dixie County. And, oh, I'm sorry, south of, south of Duval County. I lived in Duval County for 33 years. And, um, in fact, I used to ride bail bonds in Volusia County. I know it quite well. Volusia County is on the east coast. I'm on the west coast. We're about on the same level as far as latitude is concerned. Oh, okay. Uh, but we're directly across the state from each other. I've got friends in Volusia. I've got friends in St. John's County, which is just, uh, let's see, there's there's Volusia, and then there's Flagler, right? And then yeah. St. John's Flagler, and right. Duval, and then, um, uh, yes, so Nassau County. So that's the, the, the run of the state there. But I know Volusia County. Well, that's Daytona Beach. How can you miss that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, if you're a NASCAR fan, it's hard to miss it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, um, I I can't claim that one. But, uh, yeah, Volusia County, we've got some people over there that are interested in setting up their own people's grand jury in Volusia County. We've got a man in Nassau. I'm not Nassau. I'm sorry, but St. John's County that's setting it up his um, a, a group there to form the people's grand jury. There's about 15 people's grand juries that have been set up since Dixie County started theirs. Most of them are on the West Coast and down uh, down into um, 
uh, southern Florida. And there's um, there's a movement to get more and more counties set up under the people's grand juries and to become recognized as is our right and is as is the authority of each county commission to uh, support uh, as many grand juries as they feel are needed. Uh, and that does not uh, necessarily confine itself to the statutory grand juries. So um, we've got an opportunity in the state of Florida to start fighting back against the corruption, the what I call, and, and now that I've lived it, uh, judicial terrorism that's being fought against the people of, of Florida. And it's being done in every state. I'm getting people, I'm getting calls from people all over the country that are fighting this thing. There are, this is another little dirty little secret I have discovered after getting involved in this. There is a very large number of political prisoners in this country. Now, we like to think of ourselves as being tolerant of different political uh, opinions and uh, efforts, but this country has been very, very cruel to a lot of people who stepped out, who take a different opinion of how things are supposed to work, who mainly from the constitutional standpoint. Uh, Those who stand by their constitutional rights are quite regularly struck down. And I've learned very quickly, these courts, there's no such thing as justice in these courts. These are financially based commercial courts. They are there for the money. Uh, That's why they drive everybody to attorneys. I don't understand why our laws have to be so complex. Why do our court procedures have to be so convoluted and so mysterious and wrapped in foreign language? Why is everything being done in Latin? Why can't this, if English is the language of this nation, why don't we just speak English? And why do we have to go to an attorney? You have to hire a lawyer. (laughs) That's correct. Well, you know, that's all it is. is The Bar Association is is the lawyer's answer to unemployment. If it weren't for the Bar Association, every lawyer out there would have to have a day job to support himself because nobody would hire an attorney. And the way that's the way this country started out. And when you look at the research, go do the research on it. When we started out, every person in this country was their own lawyer. There are only 11 offenses you can commit under common law. And that is the law of our land. When we got into the statutory, administrative, or admiralty law uh, in our court system, came so convoluted, so mysterious. You know, we've got these judges in black robes who think they're gods. And everything is done with all the little secret words, and I guess they've got their own little handshake and everything else. I don't understand why, if the courts are there to serve the people, why aren't the people being served? This is this is so totally wrong. It's so totally against anything that this country was ever founded upon. Well, it's and, scary, downright yes, scary. Ma'am. It is, and it is it is terrorism. I'll tell you when you get wrapped up in this. What they have put me and my my wife's had to go to the hospital with a heart condition. So it's just started since this came about. That you would not believe the stress, the pressure. I mean, here we are in, in 
our advanced years. We don't know how many years we've got left, but they are making our lives absolutely miserable. They're threatening everything we've built. They're threatening to take everything we've built through our entire lives, what we put back for our retirement. And they they want to make us paupers, and they want to put me in prison. And for what? All I did was pointed out that a public official was not doing his job the way he swore an oath that he would. And the fact that I stood up to him and I said, this is not right. They want to put me in prison, and he's walking the streets. He's still getting a paycheck. He's still getting, he's got his job, got his name all over the wall in his office. This is this is outrageous that uh, what they're doing. And the thing that's so funny about it to me is, if you could call it funny, yeah, fine. Is that that I all I did was say, Sheriff, I think there's something wrong here. Could you look into it? And they have come down with the full weight of the Florida judiciary on me. I mean, they they had to sign assign a special judge to come after me. He was assigned by the Supreme Court, which is my last court of appeal. So the, the Supreme it, Court has joined in my prosecution. Does Pam How Bondi does it, have anything to do with this? Pam, I don't know. She's silent. We've reached out to her. We've, we've sent stuff to her. She doesn't respond. Uh, I, yeah. I, I'm not seeing anything within the state. We're starting to get a little bit of rumble uh, from the federal government looking into this. My, my congressman, Ted Yoho, who uh, I consider to be a personal friend, um, he's getting in the news lately with his anti-immigration effort. But Ted Yoho is a super guy. I, I fought for him. I voted for him. Uh, he came before our group here and, and spoke four times when he was running. He's been back several times since. And just a super guy. I think he's yeah, – I, I, when I was in Washington, as Dan mentioned, uh, with Operation American Spring, I had a chance to spend time with Dan, with. Uh, Ted Yoho, and talk to him about all of this stuff. And this is one of the reasons. He, he inspired me to do what I did to stand up against this. When I was there, I said, Ted, this is not going well. We've got to do everything we can. And he was very candid. He said, Terry, you don't know how corrupt this the city is, Washington, D.C. He said, our hands are tied. He said, I came here thinking I was going to change the world. I asked him, I said, I want to clean the garbage out of the city. Give me a bulldozer and I'll go to work. And they handed me a teaspoon. That was his comment on it. He said, if we're going to change this country, we've got to go back to our counties. We've got to do it one town at a time, one county at a time. We've got to go in. We've got to clean the mess up that we've allowed in each one of our counties. I'm sorry? And we've got to change the... Oh, sorry, Terry. You know, I, I'm just going to chime in here real quick. Well, we got to change the mindset. I mean, I'm still totally baffled, even though it's what was last week, and, and then you see the the Rams doing whatever the heck that they were doing uh, in solidarity with the protesters. You know, it, it, what gets me is that you have all these people who are marching in the street, you know, about you know what, what's going on about this you know this guy who just robbed somebody getting shot. And they're not even paying attention what their, you know, their, their government is doing. Now they're talking about all oh, well, the police and this and that and what, and what have you, you know. But it, it just doesn't seem like they're in the street with actually what their their different government, you know, 
is doing, not just the police, but officials like the judges and the attorney generals, you know, what we're seeing here. And I always see uh, another person, uh, Dinah from Facebook, uh, who says, you know, she knows someone uh, who is uh, called Casey Massey's uh, case. Uh, She puts uh, Casey Massey's case, who is also being hassled uh, for the same reasons, exposing corruption on the border and how the CPB or CBP was turning their heads to illegal um, illegal and acting as if they had authority over the uh, U.S. populace. You know, so, you know, when we may have uh, uh, Casey Massey uh, on next week uh, to discuss that, so I'm working on that as well. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll see what we can arrange with that. I'll keep uh, track with uh, Dinah here and perhaps have uh, that on the sh- uh, them on the show uh, next week. But go ahead, Cindy. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to. Oh, that's okay. Well, what I was kind of hoping you would do, um, since I missed a little bit of the first of the show, and I know a lot of people um, uh, that uh, have just come in recently or listening recently missed the first part, um, would you just kind of recap exactly what you did and you know, with the grand jury as, as far as that's concerned, and then what what was the first, what were the first um, charges that they arrested you for? Well, I, I'm, I'm happy to go back over it. I won't go as as deep into it as I did the first. I'm sorry you missed it. It was absolutely yeah, just brilliant. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, oh, my God, Terry. I just, I just had scotch go out my nose. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry about this cough. Okay, here's what happened. I was called onto a grand jury. I accepted the title of foreman, and in the course of being foreman of the grand jury, I was given information by people in the public of what they considered to be wrongdoing, and it was bribery. And I can tell you this now because it's public. Uh, it was bribery involving common core curriculum that's being implemented in all of our counties. And from the perspective that they gave me, it looked like it was a crime. And I convened the grand jury as foreman. I could do that. In fact, any member of the grand jury could do that if they saw something in the community that needed to be investigated. And in the course of trying to present this to the grand jury, the state attorney committed a number of egregious acts um, he he corrupted the grand jury. He tampered with it. He gave them information they didn't ask for and should not have been given to them. He took documents that were prepared strictly for the eyes of the grand jury only and that he was, I told him, he could not have because it was secret information. He took it and removed it from the room. Uh, he just did a number of things that were just not right. And I filed a report on him, uh, gave it to the court. The court did nothing about it. I memorialized it by uh, recording it in the county records. The clerk of court did nothing about any of the allegations of criminality that I made, and I made a copy of what I recorded, gave it to the sheriff, and explained to him that crimes had been committed. He did nothing about it. And the court did nothing. Nobody did anything. 
and so I took the issues. Now I had one about the the uh, state attorney and the Common Core issue. I took them to a group of people that were forming the People's Grand Jury under common law in the county. They deliberated and came back with two true bills, which I then recorded in the court records and gave a copy again to the sheriff. I was investigated by the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. I thought they were coming in to uh, do something about the allegations I had made of criminality. Instead, they were investigating me. And uh, the point I made earlier was they asked me where I got the right to report crimes of public officials. And uh, they wanted to know what statutes gave me those rights. And I explained to them that statutes don't give them their rights. God does. And that the, the Constitution uh, secures those rights if I'm willing to stand up and and protect them myself. And that's basically how I got in trouble. They charged me with, right now, I don't know how many crimes uh, or how many charges I've got against me because everything that they've done is so muddled, so outside anything that relates to normal court procedure or established court procedure or statute. Uh, I've either got 10 felony charges or 14 felony charges or 24 felony charges. And they're all in the uh, 843.0855 section of the statutes, which deal with, they've charged me with impersonating a public officer, simulating legal process, and intimidating public officials under color of law. That's that's a those are laws those are written laws. Those are statutes. It's you can listen. You can pull these right up on your computer. It's it's eight four three dot eight five five. I've I've learned these things quite well, and it's and it's items two, three, and four. And you can read these for yourself. I, I I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I I've uh, I went back to do the research on the derivation of the laws. How did these laws come about? Because they don't make laws just for no reason. There's generally some precipitating event that takes place, and they say, well, we need to make a law against this. And in doing that research, these are state statutes, Florida state statutes. And uh, like I said, when you go to the website, just you can Google in Florida State Statute 843.0855, and it'll pop up on your computer. And when you look at it, they were talking about filing liens against people's property uh, and things like that. It had nothing to do with anything that I was doing. But it's the only thing, and I'll tell you, this is an interesting point. When I was being interrogated by the... Florida Department of Law Enforcement, whom I thought they were on my side. Uh, turns out I was wrong. They um, they kept saying, we, we don't know yet what we're going to charge you with, but we're going to put this before our legal team and see what statutes um, we can find to bring against you. And I thought that was rather strange. They've had no complaint of anybody from anything that I did. The only complainant is one of the FDLE officers, and it's very loosely based on his interrogation of me. And that's okay. I understand they can use anything I say against me in a court of law. 
so forth. So, you know, I'm of the opinion I haven't done anything wrong what I have to fear. I could have, should have kept my mouth shut. But yeah. they took the things that I said. They twisted them. They took them out of context. They left out the exculpatory statements that I made and gave them evidence of exactly what I was doing. They left all of that out. It was a very one-sided thing. And the affidavit was signed by the judge. Now, this is a man who's supposed to be impartial. He signed the affidavit and the order, which makes no sense at all. You can find this stuff on the Internet, by the way. The statement in the order that supposedly caused my arrest uh, doesn't even make sense. In fact, it says that the affidavit is, has uh, got errors in it, shortcomings that must be repaired within three days or I'm to be released on my own recognizance. But yet there was nothing in there that said I should be arrested. And the, the, the explanation of how the crimes that I committed doesn't make any sense. It's not even a complete sentence, and it doesn't in there say that I did anything. So all of these things were very quickly thrown together, I think, in support of the state attorney against whom I had made these allegations of criminality. I believe it was meant to intimidate them. And now they've got this thing to the point where they don't really know what to do with it. Uh, that's my that's my belief. Uh, everything like I said, that they've done is mistaken. Uh, they've made so many errors in procedure and in the fact of the way they've done things that I don't know how they're going to prosecute. But I still, I'm under the threat. Yeah. And I don't know if Plus, these people are so lawless that they... Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry? Plus you're going to have to come up with money, you know, to, to defend yourself. Well, that's the issue. And... That's what it's all about. The, the, these are commercial courts. They are there to funnel money through and to the Bar Association, uh, the American Bar Association, the State Bar Association. Now they're talking about setting up county bar associations. I don't know how much more organization we have to have to protect lawyers and make sure that they keep their their well-paid jobs. But this is this is silly. We're just being drained completely. They're taking people's properties. They're taking their homes. They're wringing people out every penny that these people have got. And even after they take everything these people have and throw them in prison, then they go after the taxpayer to support those people in prison. The money flow never stops with these people. Wow. Well, it makes me want to... It makes me wish that I knew something about the law. I, I'm, I, I consider myself a big know-it-all, you know, just, you know, but I only know just enough to be dangerous, and I have absolutely no legal knowledge. Um, it's amazing I haven't gotten in trouble so far, but anyway. <laughs> well, um, that's, that's, by, I, I that's not, by design. Oh, well, that's, you're right. They, they want you ignorant because as long as you keep coming to them to get your answers, they have got that cash flow going. That's and that's why they do all the Latin. Uh, that's why they wrap all of this stuff in mystery. I mean, it, it makes no sense what we've allowed our legal system to devolve into. There's and, even more than that. Uh, yeah, There's even yeah. more than that. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Well, I'm, that's talking, I'm talking to this lady um, on, on uh, Facebook, 
and she's pointing out to me a couple of people that she wanted to know if you had heard from or been in contact with. One is the the guy Nick Finch, um, who was the, the sheriff that was arrested and fired by Governor Rick Scott. Do you know anything about him, or have you gotten a hold of him to see how he I, was? I know to? about his case. Uh, he he built a uh, nice little debt of about sixty thousand dollars, I believe, trying to defend himself against the governor who, in my estimation, unlawfully removed him from office. Uh, The only person, from my research, who can remove a sheriff from office is the uh, the, the medical examiner. Uh, What do they call him? What what is that, Dan? The the guy who does medical examinations? The coroner. The coroner. The coroner is the only official that has the authority to remove a sheriff. Isn't that an interesting little twist on things? Yeah, that is. <laughs> that's kind of interesting. Well, so, he, he also mentioned somebody, um, um, Keith Broders. Uh, I know Keith real well. He's yeah, he's with the um, uh, with the Constitution Club. Keith is a uh-huh. great guy. I've done a lot of communicating with him. Not lately, because I've been so embroiled in in this legal case. Uh, another one, I don't know if you're familiar with her, is Chris Ann Hall. Do you know that name? I have heard her, of her. I don't. Yeah, she, I don't she was the state attorney that was fired for teaching the Constitution on weekends, on her own time. And uh, Chris Ann and her husband have a church that's not too far from here. Uh, I've, I've been to their, uh, their uh, church services a number of times. And uh, just great people. And, of course, Chris Ann is always out there speaking on the Constitution. She attended my hearing, this last hearing that I had where I was finally released from jail on bond. And, uh, in fact, I was on her radio show a couple of times. Uh, not, not me, but the whole show was dedicated to my situation. I was very honored by that. But she, being such a constitutional advocate, an adherent uh, really brought a lot of information to me that I had not even thought about as to the transgressions that the court made against me on my constitutionally secured rights. So there is a large number of people out there. I have not talked to Sheriff Finch. Uh, I do know about him. I've known about him. I've followed what's going on. I've got great people like Bill Thornton, like Rod Glass, uh, who just got out of jail. And a lot of these people have reached out. They're helping me with uh, developing some of the documents that I'm using to defend myself. So there is just uh, I'm I'm overwhelmed with the number of people that are that are reaching out to me. And and even if they're just calling and saying, "Hey, you won't believe how badly I, my husband, my wife, my brother, or somebody has been screwed by the system," uh, but there is so much of it out there, and. We've got to recognize it and stand up against it. Well, the, now you mentioned a, a congressman um, that that you have kind of enlisted to try to help you out. Um, would it help him if he had other congressmen from other section, other parts of Florida? Because um, we have Ron DeSantis here, which is also a very um, constitution-minded conservative um, mm-hmm. Uh, official, and 
we the more people that know it. You may be able yeah. to help hey, Cindy, uh, Cindy, folks, I, I apologize, but I do need to do, uh, you know, some uh, show uh, <laughs> things that have, you know, about this time. It's uh, 11.52 Eastern time, so this is when I have to interject and let folks know uh, about some programming, how things go here for those who are new, is that in about uh, eight minutes, uh, the live portion of the show will be cutting off. So if you're just listening to the show, uh, the audio, if you're not on the line, will cut off for you. Uh, however, the show will go on to the what we call the extended period. <clears throat> excuse me, the extended period of the show, which will go on for about another hour. Uh, so if you'd like to listen to the extended period. Uh, call in at 347-945-7428. And uh, if you'd like to chime in, just push the 1 on your number dial. Again, if uh, you don't call in, probably within the next seven minutes, uh, unfortunately your audio uh, will cut out. Uh, but give us a call at 347-945-7428. But, of course, uh, if you folks are listening and you can't make it uh, past the midnight hour here on the Eastern Time Zone, uh, you're welcome to listen to the show and its entirety on the podcast, which will be available shortly after the end of the show. So uh, thank you very much. Before you come in, uh, back in, Cindy, I do want to read something that, that Diner put in uh, about the show tonight and about uh, about you, Terry. Is This is on Facebook. Uh, Diner puts, uh, the judge claims that Terry George Trussell, and then he puts in parentheses, the subservient slave under this justice system, was not in court and thus failed to appear. How could they walk six feet across the courtroom and arrest the man, Terry Trussell, the one who, quote, failed to appear? If the person a judge was looking for failed to appear, how could they arrest the man <laughs> that they did arrest? This whole game is not in accordance with any form of our Constitution. It is, in fact, completely separate from anything in our Constitution. And it's all based on the artificial laws which make people servants and slaves under the laws of the justice system. The masters, we the people, have become the servants and the slaves. I hope and pray that Terry has not, uh, has not and does not sign any consent forms agreeing to be subject to their legal system and laws. This prosecutor and judge will put him in prison for at least 20 years, and if you said Terry Moore, uh, he has stepped on their toes and threatened their authority and questioned their power. And thanks, uh, Dinah, for putting that uh, in a comment on Facebook and one of the groups here uh, that uh, we posted the show. So let's go ahead and bring it back to you, Cindy, and then also you, Terry, and then in short, we'll bring Dan back in as well. But, of course, folks, if you are listening in, of course, in the next five minutes, the audio will be cut off, unless you call us at 347-945-7428. And then, as we say here, Cindy, the mic is yours. Go ahead. Hey, and um, uh, my friend that I was talking about said that um, you probably should make sure that Finch or some sheriff that would have um, would have your case in mind and, and would be sympathetic should you should have someone keeping an eye out for you. She said um, you could disappear like that. Um, Representative Hansen did, and um, uh, that you should be on the alert. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, I'm uh, 
I, I think the only thing that's kept me safe and alive at this point has been the fact that there are so many people like yourself out there that are watching everything that's going on with this case. I am blessed to be with a number of people or supported by a number of people around the state. Every time I go to court, I've got 50 to 60 people in that court gallery supporting me, and they are there for me. Uh, I I mean, I know that. I'm not saying this out of ego. I know how many people attend these uh, court dates uh, under normal circumstances. You might have anywhere from three to 12 people sitting in the gallery. When I go into court, there's, like I said, 50 to 60 people that are sitting there, and we generally go to lunch afterwards or unless I go to jail. (laughs) We end up going to lunch afterwards. So I know how many people are there. We have great times, great meetings, and great conversations, and they're all super patriot people. I, I I can't tell you how much. I don't even know a lot of their names, but I see their faces every time. And it's, I am so appreciative of those people and the support they're giving me and the high level of disability that I'm getting from having those people know what I'm going through. And I think that's the only thing that's keeping me safe. If I were, you know, hiding in the bushes someplace, they could uh, they could easily stop this whole thing. But yeah. there's been so much writing. There's so much on the Internet. There's so many people, and like this radio show, that gets the message out there. And I think that's one of the things that's giving them great consternation is the fact that, wow, we thought we were going to crush this little guy down here in Dixie County and keep this thing quiet. And it's it's just caused it to explode, not just all over the state, but all over the country. And I don't take credit for that. I'm not saying that to, to blow my own ego up, but it's people are so sick of what's been going on every little hook they can get their hands into to, to to start working this thing back to what it should be, getting our nation back under constitutional law uh, and away from this lawlessness and this lawless president that we've got. And one thing I want to make real clear, if I can right now, I never criticize our government. There's nothing wrong with our government. It was founded on our constitution. This is our government. What we have now is our country is run by a a criminal bureaucracy. These are the people that have assumed the roles of our officials, and they are in there, and they are the evildoers. These are the ones that are destroying and taking this country apart. But the only way they can do that is because we let them. If we don't accept responsibility for the situation we're in, there is nothing we can do to correct it. And that's why we have to stand up, take a look at ourselves, and say, hey, I've had enough of this crap. I'm ready to turn it around. That's what we're all working for. So well, you know that's what's all really I ask people sad. to do. Yeah, well, what's really sad is that there's still not enough people who are well enough informed and who have decided to join the fight to restore our Constitution to where... Um, we can we can actually make a difference. Um, they're not afraid of us yet. Those those people at the top are actually appearing to me to become more bold. They are boldly going where no politician has gone before. Oh, I love the Star Trek uh, reference. Thank you, Cindy. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> my, daughter, my daughter. My daughter. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter. Yeah, it helps a lot. 
Yeah, my daughter I, would be proud too, but oh well. I, I, I would argue with that point. And the and the reason I would say that is that there Which are part? enough of us. The problem is we're not all working in the same direction. I noticed this with uh, recognized this very rapidly with Operation American Spring when I reached out to a number of different patriot groups. Uh, and yeah. I thought, well, here's 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 an effort that speaks for all of us. All of us can take a part in it and support American Spring and demand that the evildoers, the wrongdoers, step down. And I thought, wow, if we could just get all the patriot groups together and, and do this same thing. And I found that they didn't want any part of it. They didn't want anything that took the spotlight off of their own little organization and because of that they couldn't join with others and really make a force to be reckoned with the competitiveness the the if i didn't invent it it can't be any good attitude and that really is what caused operation american spring to fail in my if it failed i there was a lot of good that came out of that effort, mainly the people that I met there, like Dan, uh, and so many others that are committed. And I've maintained these contacts and these relationships with Colonel Riley, and, and all of this stuff has been growing. It's underground, I realize, but at the same time, it's growing. And there are enough people. Let me tell you, this country was founded on about 1% of the population actively involved in the fight for our liberty. And you see the numbers that are there. We have 8 million people in this country. These are the numbers that I've been able to put together. And out of that, we only had about 80,000 people that actually fought in the revolution. And when you use, we got 317 million people in this country now. And if you take those same numbers, there is easily enough people in this country to turn it around, all we have to do is join hands and march in the same direction. And I guarantee you, there's these people in Washington, D.C. are so afraid of us right now. They are terrorized by us if we're all moving in the same direction. That may be why they've ramped up their efforts, because they, they are uh, afraid of us and they think they have to um, bring things to fruition quickly. quickly. But you know what I see as a, a very big obstacle for us is that uh, a lot of what we can do should be happening through the electoral system. But the problem is we have a what we're calling these days a duopoly. We just have one party with two wings right now. And there's even people in the Republican Party are looking um, – they're looking at candidates with a very wary eye these days, and they're saying, well, who is this guy? When I elect him or, you know, when I vote for the Republican because I'm a Republican, is he going to go to Washington and just become one of the crony elite Republicans that is under the control of Boehner and McConnell? Or is he going to stand out and um, be separate like maybe a Gowdy or or like Santorum, or like your representative, you know what? And what? And what difference can he make if he's only uh, one of a small group of people who are actually um, fighting the conservative battle up there to restore the Constitution? Um, if there is not a, a third party 
that people can wrap their arms around. Um, I, I don't know how we can all get together and get these guys voted out and get people voted in that are true to their um, their ideals, uh, the ideals of our Constitution. Um, so I, I don't I don't know. And, and like you said, in Operation um, American Spring, there was these factions, and I I heard myself. I saw people criticizing Colonel Riley uh, about certain things that he had done, um, you know, to to manage things, uh, his organization, so to speak. And um, it was like um, they weren't they weren't as committed to the um, the the job at hand as they were getting things done their way. Um, that's got to change, or we won't be able to stand together. It's, it's you know, united we stand, divided we fall. And uh, if we you don't know, get together, yeah, the, go ahead. I'm sorry. If no, I no. might, I've been listening, and you guys mentioned a number of things. I think I can tie together real easy, and I have one really good idea. I think it's a good one. People have been telling me it's a good one. I don't know where it came from. Um, First of all, you talked about fear, Cindy, and I have to agree with both of you. You've both come to the idea that they aren't afraid of us. They're deathly terrified of us. I'm not sure if it's the reason is because we're ramping up our efforts or they're that close they can taste it and they know that if we rise, they won't have it. But they are deathly afraid of us. Why do you think they still lie? If they weren't afraid of us, they could say what they wanted do you think Vladimir Putin really worries about what the press says over there or worries about what his dissidents say? Do you think he cares? Do you think anyone in China really has a worry about what they have to say or that the dictator in Iran or in North Korea has to guard their speech and pretend to be constitutional? No. For, for the outside world, perhaps. But internally, if you listen to any of the uh, the Arab um, dictatorships over there, they pretty much lay it all out, and they're not worried one bit because they know that they've got firm control over their people. Now, the other point which we keep coming back to is credit. And Ronald Reagan wasn't the first one to say it. He put a plaque on his desk, and he gave credit to whoever actually said it first, which is that you can accomplish a, an awful lot if you don't care who gets the credit. One of the ways that I've been trying to emulate, and I, people keep saying, oh, you're doing this, that. Yeah, I'm doing what I'm doing, but it's just work. I'm happy to see somebody else get credit for something. If I can assist somebody else's effort, and the effort is successful, and it gains more followers, more adherence to liberty, more uh, money behind it, more concerted effort, if it wakes people up, I win. The whole reason I'm in this is so I can not have to be in this. I mean, if I had wanted to be a politician, I'd be a politician. I would have done this years and years and years ago. Um, most of us don't want to be public figures of any kind, and yet here we are doing it. And why? Not because we want it. Terry Terry has a voice, I mean, and he's got a presence. You've never met him personally. I have. Uh, he could have been some kind of big entertainer-type person. Uh, if he wanted to, but he never followed that. Why? Because it's not what he wants, and now he's doing this because it needs to get done. And we give credit where credit is due. 
The fact is, you can't accomplish anything just by yourself. I mean, I'm not saying taking the Obama-Hillary Clinton line that you didn't build that. I'm saying that even if you build it, you need to have people who are willing to work with you to build that. If you watch the Amish put together a barn in an afternoon, um, yeah, they built that. But it took an awful lot of guys and gals working really, really hard in concert with a plan, with their materials in place, knowing what the heck they're doing, to build it that well, that strong, that in one afternoon it goes up, and 200 years later it's still going to be standing there. And um, we talked about uh, politics, and Terry hit on it. And, Cindy, you were wondering, people vote for these uh, candidates. They've sent them to Washington, and they're wondering, are they going to stay true? Well, when we send our representatives to Washington, they are a tiny minority of hopeful cleanness in a sea of festering filth. So it's really hard to stay true. And even if you do stay true, it's hard to get anything done with a, a t- teaspoon against the uh, Aegean stables that uh, Hercules cleaned out by diverting a stream through. And that's what we need to do. That stream is a stream of people, of political candidates, and those start with local elections. Look, you don't know the man or woman who's running for mayor if your town is any larger than, say, 10,000. Right? You don't know the person who's running for Congress or senator. You might have met them, but you don't know them unless you happen to know them. Unless you're your neighbor. But if you're talking about uh, school board, yeah, you definitely can know them. If you don't know them now, it won't be that hard to find out and get to know them. If you're talking about uh, your township, your borough, if you live in a small place, um, any kind of organization. And it doesn't, politics doesn't just have to be elected to government. It could be a fire company. It could be elected people within your church on committees. You get to know these people. They need to learn how to do that job. Remember, if they had been professionals at this, they would have been corrupted long before now or frustrated. They, we don't want people who got out of college if they went to college, I never went to college, but if they did and just took a job for two years with a law firm or teaching and all of a sudden they're in politics and now 20, 30, 40 years later they're still in politics, we don't want those people. We want people who have real-life experience, who have done real things and who have not shown any interest in power at all. But those people do not need to learn how power works and they need to learn parliamentary procedure, and they need to learn uh, how to stay absolutely true to principle while compromising on detail without losing sight of what needs to get done. You have to have that long-term strategic view, which a lot of us have going in, but you also have to develop the tactics to be able to maneuver your way through all the BS to get there. We also talked about laws, and there is another reason why... The law is so convoluted in this country. Constitution is not convoluted. It's very clear. It's very easy to understand. When you have disputes and you want to just resolve those disputes among uh, a couple of people, small group, it's not hard to do, and you don't need laws and procedures to do it. People know almost instinctively. We take turns speaking. We listen to what the other says. We carefully evaluate what was said. And we respond and we ask questions to elucidate further answers. And when all the facts have become known and we've expressed our point of view, we vote. And that's a really easy way to make decisions. And in a small group, it works. But they, they, it is not just a money game. It's a power game. 
I mean, you look at all the divorce and re- real estate proceedings that just suck the money out of people's pockets for stuff they should be able to do themselves. All right? It's power. When you have convoluted, difficult case law where everything is based on precedent and not on, on uh, constitutional principle, you can pretty much get away with anything. You can write a law that says anything, and then you can interpret it, and that's the key. Judges interpret. You can interpret that law any way you want to. So you can interpret that law to favor your friends so that they can get away with business. Remember, Congress, when they make laws, doesn't apply to them. You know that? Not one law they write applies to them unless they write it specifically about themselves. So they can exempt themselves. They can, they're exempt from insider trading. A whole lot of congressmen yeah. and senators owned stock in Fannie Mae and basically bankrupted the institution and wrote laws that allowed that to happen and then bought back in. They sold high and then bought in low just, as soon as, just before they refunded it so that the prices went up. It's not illegal. It's completely immoral, corrupt, unconstitutional, improper, but it's not illegal because they write the laws. So they make these laws so that they can do what they want to do. Now, as far as time and people, we have enough. We do have enough. I don't know if we have a huge surplus, but we have enough and we have just enough. But there's no time to waste, and there's not a single person that isn't important in this fight. So if you're sitting out there listening and agreeing, if you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah I agree, I agree, if you yell at the TV, no, those idiots, do something. I, I don't care what it is. Find the thing that you do well. Some people do one thing. Some people do another. I have a vast array of friends and associates who do things. They, they say I'm really good at some stuff, and maybe that's true. I'm not good at everything. But I have friends who are. There's stuff I can't even begin to do well. For instance, uh, parsing numbers? No way. i got guys who are, and, and ladies who are fiscal analysts. I mean, these, these people are geniuses with numbers. You give them spreadsheets, and they just look over the stuff, and it just pops out at them. They know exactly what it is. They do the stuff in their head practically. I could spend a year with it, and I still wouldn't necessarily find the problem. We need those people, all kinds of people that are required. Now, Cindy, um, you mentioned, I'm almost wrapping it up here, uh, third party and constitutional values. I think what we need is just one party, not the duopoly we have now, but a different kind of duopoly that we used to have at one time in this country, where both parties followed the Constitution. I don't care what party somebody calls themselves any more than whether I care if somebody calls themselves religious or not, or calls themselves whatever they want to call themselves. It's nice that you have a self-named title. What's more important are your actions, as long as they don't follow the Constitution, as long as they're unfair and punish their enemies and reward their friends, they're certainly not doing what's required. But there used to be constitutional Republicans, a lot more of them, the majority of them. There used to be constitutional Democrats, the majority of them used to be in my lifetime. And I'm 53 years old. So I'll end this part of my segment with a thought. This just occurred to me. Obama is threatening to shut down the government if he sent a spending bill that does not include what he wants on amnesty and God knows what else. Well, that's a real problem, folks. And of course, by the way, John Boehner is not necessarily, and Mitch McConnell will not necessarily be the leaders. People seem to forget that the, the 
folks in Washington right now are not the new crop. Some of them are and will be continuing after January 20th. But January 20th, there's a new signing uh, inauguration for all these different leaders. They swear their oath. And they can vote somebody else in, and there will be enough people. I don't think Boehner and McConnell, McConnell maybe, but not that I'm a fan, but uh, he's more effective than Boehner, for God's sakes. And those guys aren't changing their tune. So whatever they happen to do now, it can be undone in just a month, month and a half's time. But here's my idea. Don't send him an omnibus bill. Don't send 2,000 pages of ridiculous cross-reference rigmarole that he can just say no to the whole thing. I'll shut it down in the most painful way for the American public possible and make my point. And then try to bend the omnibus. Yeah, well, it's easy. Here's what you do is you have to work. What if you take that magical 100 days, that first three months and a bit, the first 100 days of the new Congress and Senate, you took the entire federal budget, divided it into 300 parts. Ignore the stuff that you don't want to fund. Don't defund it. Just ignore it. Just put it aside. The stuff that you don't think is constitutional, you don't think is proper, that it's a waste, it's not worth doing, just put that aside. But there's stuff in this country um, that whether we agree philosophically about, we know we need. We know we need military. We know we, we want national parks. We know that we require, at this point, with the economy being this bad, food stamps because the jobs aren't there and people can't starve. We can't get rid of the food stamps until we grow the jobs. So what you do is you write three standalone bills per day. That's it. Three bills between a page and ten pages each in plain language that fund one chunk of the government and send three bills a day up to that empty man in the Oval Office. Send him up. Let him veto a bill that says nothing more than, we will fund food stamps. We will feed you if you're poor. Let him veto that. Let him veto the one that says nothing more than, we're going to keep Yellowstone Park open for people to go and look at the geysers and the beautiful nature. Let him, let him defund that. Go ahead. Send a bill that says nothing more than, we will present paychecks to our troops. We will continue to pay them. You send three bills a day and let him decide if he wants to just shut down that one part of the government and take full responsibility for it. Within 100 days, you have 300 opportunities to make him look bad, to win by funding the things that we all we agree on in America. Not philosophically, mind you. I'm not talking about five years, seven years, ten years down the road when we have really, really changed things for the better and restored constitutionalism. But for right now, I don't like the idea of food stamps. I've discussed my idea of replacing it with what would work to keep people from starving in extreme situations. But that's not for for today. Um, But right now, I wouldn't get rid of food stamps. People can't starve. That's not good. We don't want to do that. There's no jobs for most of these people. Um, so you simply fund those things that we, 85, 90% of us agree on right now, are required. And leave the others out. Just don't send him a bill. He can't veto something you don't send him. Now, if he wants to try and just make up law on his own, like he's trying now, well, I say mm-hmm. go for it. Because Trey Gowdy is looking for ammunition. And it's really, really difficult when you have a bunch of corrupt criminal cronies 
to find somebody who is willing to be a whistleblower and put their neck on the line when they've got a choice between, hmm, I go along and I get million-dollar payoffs, or I go against them and I might just get Breitbarted. Um, on the other hand, if you do it open, if Obama does this stuff openly, if he just openly says, well, um, they didn't fund my pet tyranny, my little uh, effort to uh, transform America fundamentally, so I'm just going to say that we have the money and say that I have the authorization. Well, you know what? You don't really yeah. need witnesses to do that. You don't really need much except a video of him doing it, the document he signed, and that's an impeachable offense right there. So there's my idea. If you like it, I don't need credit for it. Take credit for it yourself. Say you thought of it. Just If you like it, please pass that on to the people who you know who are influencers and the people you know who are in office now or will be shortly uh, in January. The problem is, with with Boehner at the helm up there, do you think that any of that will will actually he's, go over? He's gonna. He was only voted in again by the people who are already there. There's a whole right, new, new crop of people Maybe coming to town. Finally, get him out. He's weak. Well, always has been. One hundred uh, people in the U.S. Congress were willing to vote him out. Approximately, I think that number is going to be closer to two hundred, two hundred and fifty. And, you know, people like to, on any team, they like to go along, appear strong. Hey, we're all united. If uh, 55% of the House says no to Boehner, the vote will suddenly be 85 90% saying no to Boehner. Yeah. Well, you know, that's what we can hope for. Well, I mean, uh, we kind of went through this last time he was up for a vote and, Nothing became of it. And we have the same right. problem as McConnell. No, we don't. Cindy, remember, one month from today, well, a month and a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. January 20th, all those people who were elected who are not in Washington now, they are not elected representatives at this point, they will be in office. Uh-huh. And whole new ball game. Well... We'll have to pray for that. <laughs> I'll pray for it, but I don't hope for anything. I have no hope whatsoever. I, well, I think what hope. we have to do is we have to we have to. The thing is, I think that they have to put up somebody against Boehner that is extremely popular in in the in the nation, like like could be somebody who's a good fundraiser too. <laughs> yeah, they've got to be a good fundraiser, and they've got to be a good member. A, a good team coach, I don't know if any of you played team sports. Um, if you played team sports or if you were ever in the military or if you're part of a team that had uh, specific operational requirements like firefighting, for instance, as a volunteer or any of those things, then you know that a proper leader is not just one who knows what your job is and can direct you in the job and tell you where you need to go. A proper leader gathers you all together because the, when, when we – I used to be – a I'm still technically, but I'm not active. I'm not fit enough physically anymore to be a volunteer firefighter. If some, if my leg gives out or whatever, uh, I don't want to kill somebody else. But when you're going into a building or you're going up against somebody trapped in a car that's going to catch on fire at any moment, you have to multiply your efforts. And if you've got one person, you can do stuff. Two people is worth more than two people. Ten people working together 
can beat any 10 people working separately. So you've got to be a team. Well, Boehner and McConnell both, just like their opposite numbers on the other side, you have to, to say that these people really can operate as a team. They know how to pull together. Not to say it's the right team, but they do know how to pull together. So whoever might step up into leadership in Washington certainly um, has to have that attribute. I, I would remind all of you, since Kelly isn't here tonight, that the Speaker of the House does not have to be a senator, or rather a congressman. The Senate Majority and Minority Leader, they have to be senators, but in Congress, the Speaker of the House is elected by the House members, and there's nothing in the Constitution that says they have to be even elected to anything, much less a congressperson. That's correct. See, they could say, we, you're a senator. Well, get Newt Gingrich back in there. He'll shake some things <laughs> up. You know what would be a good thing? Here's another strategy idea. A good thing about getting somebody in as Speaker of the House who is not elected, they could take the heat. If you wanted somebody to go out there who had no election to worry about, who had no constituents to worry about, who had no fundraising to worry about, he could take he or she could take the heat, they could take the lead, they could say unpopular things, they could push. And if it became politically untenable, what loss would you have in cutting somebody like that loose? I mean, if it was Terry Trussell was the Speaker of the House and he's being out there and he's being just as radical and dangerous as he always is, <laughs> he really are, uh, and, and he went just a little further than maybe the American public seemed to want or than the members wanted, they could go, well, you know, geez, uh, we, we're going to have another election. They put someone else in. Well, you got to remember, though, that the Speaker of the House is third in line for the presidency. So, you you know, nobody's going to just sort Okay, of pick somebody who's natural born, who's sane, okay. who believes in the Constitution. Well, well, let's, well let's get Newt Gingrich in there and then. Uh... <laughs> Sounds great to me. Bob, I, would vote, I, I have to say, I know you guys really like Newt, and he's a brilliant man, but uh, I have to say, uh, his leadership skills are lacking. I'm not saying that he doesn't care. I'm not saying he's not a good American. But his leadership skills, based on evidence, are somewhat lacking. Uh, and he's too all over the place. He's got whoever's going to be a president has to be able to communicate simple ideas. John F. Kennedy took us to the moon. All right? He started all that. He, he was a great communicator in simple phrases. Ronald Reagan, simple phrases without talking down to people, without dumbing anything down, he was able to take complex situations that would require masters and PhD theses to fully comprehend and fully expurgate, and he was able to break it down into an honest expression that was a few sentences long and that everybody went, yeah, I get that. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'm going to go with that. That's true. When, when well, I listen to new talk, I love it, but yeah. Well, well, beyond, anyway, we're you know, far beyond that, but he, for, for one, Dan, there's no, there's no JFK out there, and there's no Ronald Reagan. And if yes, you're going to compare is. any of the folks out there to Ronald Reagan, yes, uh, there would be is. To Ronald Reagan than any anybody else out there. Wait a minute. I, I refuse to accept the choices that are offered to me right now. I don't really like any of the people on either side who have been put forward as potential presidential candidates. Not a single one. I think they're all, some of them are pretty good people. Some of them aren't. 
but I don't think any of them would be the statesman, the leader we need. I think that person exists. I think we, pro- we probably have some idea, some of us, who that person is, but we don't know that they're going to be that person in office. Right, right now there's well, somebody. Ask, and, and just think of the well, people who have been on this ask, show. Well, because I want to bring it back in because we're almost at the bottom of the hour into the closing yeah, hour. Uh, but let's yes. ask our, our guest what, what his thoughts on that are. Terry? Wow. You're asking an awful lot of me right at this point. The um, I, I do believe we've got a lot of people out there. I think JFK is out there. I think George Washington's out there. Mm-hmm. What we've got to do is be able to pull them out of the the mass of people. Uh, you know, I, I've learned something in the military that um, they don't recruit heroes in the military. They just recruit people. And the people become heroes when the circumstances and the opportunities arise. They step into that position. And I think that's where we need to really make the effort. The problem I've got with the two-party system is that they block George Washington or JFK from stepping forward and make it so difficult for anybody other than the ones that they've vetted, approved, and groomed for those positions, it's it's like mm-hmm. with with uh, this this new um, which Bush is it now we're getting which edition is it? It's your part of Jeb Bush. There's a there, yeah Jeb Bush, uh, former governor of Florida. This guy is totally in the bag with Common Core. He has like become an elitist. He did a he did a good job as as um, governor as far as the economics of the state was concerned. The problem was it was so corrupt under him, they were stealing every penny he was saving. And I don't think he's a competent leader. I don't think he's got the vision for the country. I want to see a revolutionary in there. We don't need a conservative. Conservatives don't want to change anything that's going on right now, and we need change. We need a radical change from what's going on, and we need to go back to where we started, get our country back on track, and get with the Constitution. It's so frustrating to me to see the mistakes that are being made today, and I can pick up my little pocket Constitution, and they say, all right, fine, this is what they're doing. Right here in the Constitution says, don't do that because it's stupid and it will hurt people, and yet they're doing it. And they're saying, well, this is the best we can do. No, it's not the best you can do. And that's, I, I just don't understand why we keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again and refusing to see the intelligence, the beautiful design behind our Constitution, the concept of this country, and the spirit that was once part of America. That's what we've got to get back to. But that's just my opinion. I agree. With I, you. Go ahead, Sammy. I was just saying I agree. You, you're right. Well, let's and he get says it, it so well. <laughs> yeah, you know what? In this country right now, look in your local communities and look out there and just imagine. Just do this as a mental exercise. When you go to your next Tea Party meeting, your nine twelve meeting, your your church meeting, whatever it is, and it. it could be your uh, Libertarian Party meeting, your anonymous group, whatever it is. Look around you. 
And look at that person that everybody has respect for. There's at least one person. There may be a number of people in your group that everybody respects and says, you know what? This man or woman, I trust them. They tell us the truth. Now, look within that group for the one who clearly sees where you need to go. The one who has that far sight, who says, I see over the horizon the direction we need to go in. Now, narrow it down just a little bit more, and this may mean that you aren't looking in your own little group anymore. You may have to look to some other group. But now look for somebody who is good at steering. Somebody who says, yeah, we need to get way over there, way across there, way past the horizon. However, there are shoals and there are storms and there are pirates and there's currents and and there's all these things that we have to deal with. So I'm going to uh, steer us in this direction and then tack back in that direction and then we're going to coast for a little while and then we're going to go hell-bent for leather through there. And the person who successfully does that in a small group can successfully do that in a large group. And that's the kind of skill that we need as a president. That's what George Washington did. That's what a president, a good president does. That's the exact opposite of what the occupier of the White House is doing right now. He's, again, using the same basic political skills, but what he's deliberately doing is causing the ship to lurch violently from left to right. He's putting us into doldrums so that we can't move, and then suddenly throwing us up against the storm. He's trying to round the Cape of uh, whatever that one is, uh, Cape Horn and the southern tip of South America, the one that you can't get through with a ship. Because that's why they built the Panama Canal, because it's so damn dangerous. You could do seven weeks. Every time you go into there, a storm throws you back and, and rips your ship up and destroys the people that, you're, that are trying to man your ship. Um, and he's doing a damn good job of it. He really is. The helm is the most important position aboard the ship. Every other position counts. You need somebody in the crow's nest as a lookout. You need people in the engine room. You need people to man the sails, people to feed you. You need people to make certain that the cargo is is being protected and the passengers are comfortable, whatever. This is all incredibly important. But without that helmsman to determine the course over the horizon and how to get you there safely, quickly, efficiently, you're just going to founder. And right now, we are in... The breakers with, the, you know, being battered. This ship is going to sink if we don't turn it around. But, I'm, again, not hopeful, but uh, I know it's going to happen. We're going to win. We're winning now. That's why they're doing these things to people like Terry. That's why they're going after us. I, I can't tell you the number of people who have approached me with stories that are similar, in a sense, to Terry's. I mean, the details are different. But... The common thread is that here are these decent people who are just trying to do the right thing and follow the rules and be honest, fair. They're doing their jobs. Some of them work for government. Some don't. And every single time, and there's dozens right now that I'm working with, some through electronic media, some it's sensitive enough. I I keep this stuff completely off the grid. Um, Where I'm, I'm trying to assist them in whatever way I can, hook them up with other people, uh, to help them find lawyers if I can, uh, fundraising, you name it. But they did the same thing. They just stood up for what was right, and the powers that be got really, really scared and didn't want that example, so they stepped on them big time. 
And you know what the difference is? Is that they're fighting back now. These people are fighting back, and other people are coming to their assistance. And this is how we win. Well, it's 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 for sure we have to come to the assistance. Um, the the general population has to get the information about how we have, uh, as Terry said, political prisoners here in the United States. Uh, they need to know that. And um, there's not like me. I I had no clue that Terry's Terry's case existed. Um, I did hear about. Uh, the sheriff up Finley, Finley, Finney, whatever his name was. Anyway, Finch. I heard about him. Um, you know, there's a few that I have heard about, but I hadn't heard of Terry's case. And these have, to have an army of people, and and I'm so glad to hear that the courtroom is packed with with Terry's supporters whenever he goes before a judge. That's what needs to happen. And not only does the courtroom need to be packed, but the whole outside of the courthouse needs to be packed, sidewalks covering the street with people with signs and, you know, saying this is what's going on here, wake up people. You know, whether you are a conservative or a liberal doesn't matter. This can happen to anybody, and, and, and they need to know that, and they need to stand up to it. Um, you know, what, what aggravates me to no end is the liberals think that, well, these people that are being, um, these people that are being persecuted and hounded, well, they, they think differently from me, so I don't really want to support them. It's all it's just as well to me if they're in jail. But you know what? <laughs> they're coming for you one day. You know, what... What do you think they're after? They're after serfs. They're after slaves. They want to go back to the to the days of the king and and um, the the um, the noblemen controlling everything. And you work for them. That's what they want. And um, if and, and if liberals think that you know they're going to have all these wonderful privileges and all this wonderful food stamps and free phones and everything. They think that they're going to have all of that once the middle class is crushed and the money is gone. They got another thing coming, and they just have not—they have not woken up to that yet. And I just hope it happens soon. And I'm trying to help wake them up, but they're so closed-minded, you can't tell them anything. Well, you know, people are until they're not. You—you you can't. Um, there are some. There are some. That you can tell them that, that the house is on fire around them, and they will say, no, it is not, and they'll burn up. But exactly. most people, when they feel those flames, they're willing to be wrong just this once, and they will follow you out the out of the house. Right. they got to feel um, the flame, flames first. They well, I think they're yet. starting to feel it. I hope. I mean, you would think that you would see all the uh, the, the poor people who were poor before Obama got elected, they were still poor when he got reelected, and now they're going to leave. He's going to leave office, or maybe he'll leave office, and they're still going to be poor, and they still don't get it. I'm well, still you know, poor. You know what? Listen, Cindy, we're we're looking at the news media, 
And that's pretty much the large reflection on the American public. But it's a funhouse mirror. It makes yeah. things look different than they are. Uh, we mm-hmm. see these Ferguson protests and, oh, my God, look at that. The black people think we're, that all the white people are racist and, and they're all out there. No, they're not. There's a small cadre of professional protesters yeah. who are basically communists. And there's some who genuinely believe this stuff and they're just completely duped and that's too bad. But mm-hmm. and then there's the you know young guys. Come on, I mean, I was a young guy. Think about yourself if you were a young guy out there, Cindy. Women are often not like this, but some are. But when a guy is of a certain teenage age, um, you can pretty much tell him, "Hey, let's do anything." And if it sounds like fun, and his pals are doing it, and it's mm-hmm. something wrong or bad or dangerous or fun, yeah, you know what? We, yeah, okay, I could get shot. Well, okay, something could burn. Yeah, you know what? Let's go. Ah. But I work and am friends with many people in this country who are not white. Uh, black, um, brown, yellow. People who are not all straight. Gay people. People who are uh, of various religious beliefs and non-religious beliefs. I mean, Wiccans, Christians, Jews... Even a few is, is Muslims, not not a whole lot, and that's unfortunate because I was, I, I am praying to have more. Look, if they want to be Muslim and believe the first part of the Quran rather than the second part, if they want to reform themselves from within the way Christianity did, so it stopped the Inquisition, it stopped the tortures, and then the, you know the wars over religious stuff that didn't really matter. Um, great. And until they do, I'm not going to have too many friends in that camp, unfortunately. But all these different people have almost the same views about all of this. We all look at the, the situation and say, yeah, there are some bad cops. And they should always be investigated if there's a shooting. And if it's a bad cop, we want them gone. But every case is individual. And even though it's probably true in some areas that cops will stop blacks more than whites, some areas not all, that that doesn't mean that they're picking on blacks specifically and shooting them down for no damn reason anymore. That, look, there's black officers and white officers who shoot black guys and white guys, and sometimes it's justified and sometimes, unfortunately, it's not. And they need to be jailed at, or at least removed from, from their position if they're just merely incompetent. Um, but it's case by case, and they, they pick the wrong case. They, they could have picked a case, if they wanted to, of police injustice, of the state absolutely overstepping its bounds and acting in a completely egregious manner. But they didn't want to pick a case like that because that would be too much on our side. That's the kind of stuff we don't like. We don't like when government takes things that, they, that don't belong to them, especially other people's lives. So they picked a case where they could say, it's a kid. It's just a kid. He wasn't just a kid. He was nearly as bad as I was at that age, and I was a criminal. All right, He was a, a little thug. It's a shame for him. I, I really feel for him. That, that young man, had he not done what he did that day, could very well have turned out okay. Maybe he would have straightened himself out, found a good woman, stayed with her, had kids, gotten a job, become a responsible person in society. Maybe. And maybe somebody would have shot me for all the jerky things I did when I was that age, and it would have been a, a real shame for me and my family, but not for society. 
and it certainly wouldn't have been murder. What happened? I don't know. I, don't I stopped know. talking. Oh, <laughs> I, I coughed. Why does that, you know, why does that always happen when I stop talking okay. this silence? <laughs> Well, you know what? I think I think our nation needs a. Well, I think our nation needs a um, a crash course on grand juries because grand juries are not getting the respect and the um, cooperation that they need to get, um, and they're not being used in in the way that they should be used to, to in order to get rid of the corruption, and we're going to wind up. The people have this wonderful plan to keep their government uh, in check, and yet um, they're, they're passing up the opportunity because they don't even know about it. It's like having a tool in the toolbox that would absolutely finish your project perfectly, but you don't even know what's in there, okay, or you don't know how to use it. Um, we've got to have more people that understand the power of the, the, the grand jury and how it's organized. Because I can tell you, I don't know. And that's one reason that I haven't kept in touch or haven't kept informed. I haven't kept myself informed about what a grand jury does and is and and how people like Terry um, are doing the right thing and getting persecuted for it. Uh, there's just we need to know more about it. Well, I tell you, I, I'd like to step Kelly. in at this point. I agree with you. People do need to understand the power of the grand jury. The fact that it's founded on or of, by, and for the people is the critical element here. Right. The problem we have is that the grand juries that everybody thinks of today, both federal and state, in each one of our counties, they're statutory. They are controlled mm. by the courts and by the state attorney, which is exactly what the formers of the grand jury were working against. The whole right. concept behind these grand juries is they must be independent of any yeah. government control. And the right. statutes, just the fact that there are statutes forming the grand jury and telling how the grand jury is supposed to work, just completely obviates the whole purpose of a statutory grand jury. It, it's an oxymoron. It does yep. not exist. So that's why the people have to do this themselves. That's why we called it the people's grand jury under common law. It's what was formed in the concept of the Magna Carta. Now, this is what's so insane. For 800 years, the grand jury concept and function has worked for the benefit of the people. And suddenly, a hundred years ago, we decided, well, we're so much smarter than those people were over that period of time that we're going to change it and make it better. And all we've done is completely mess it up. And it's simple. It's so easy. And we fight it. And it doesn't make any sense to me. And you... In your in, over there in Volusia County, you have no idea how big an impact you can have just by talking to your friends, talking about the grand jury, the people's grand jury under common law now, not the statutory, and what we can do with it. 
It's completely legal. There is not a single law that keeps us from doing it. And I don't understand why more people aren't grasping the concept. You see it, help other people see it. And I'll do, I'll, I will travel, I'll go speak, I'll do anything I can to get this word out to people so that we can start fighting back against the corruption in our judiciary. It's our courts have been stolen from us if we don't fight to take You know, this is one thing, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a path, but let me bring up this one point. I look, I watch the news, I watch what's going on in Afghanistan and Iraq. I see how our soldiers are being wasted by these bureaucrats in, in Washington who have no appreciation of what the military actually does. Mm-hmm. And then I look around and look at my fellow people out here, and I see them being wasted. Now, we've got people that we're putting on the line. Their lives, their limbs are being put on the line in foreign countries for no good reason that I can possibly see. And yet we're allowing our greatest enemies, these criminal bureaucrats, to destroy our country here. This is the most insane thing I've ever witnessed in my life. And it it, it makes me crazy to see all of this going on and so many people oblivious or the people who will say, well, what can one man do? One man can stand up. And maybe another man will stand up beside him. That's what one man can do. You know, Terry, you were in combat, so you'll, I'm sure you'll, you'll understand this part of it. Um, folks, most people who are in the military are not warriors. And most people in combat are not warriors. They're people who, as Terry said, were given a job to do. Sometimes it's hard to tell who's going to be the real warrior, the real leader on that field. Sometimes it's not the person who was really, really good at drill or the person who uh, always followed all the regulations. But whoever that person is, if you've got 100 guys on the battlefield fighting, you're lucky if 40 or 50 of them will actually shoulder their weapon. And you're lucky if 20 or 30 of them will actually fire that weapon. Maybe 15 or 10 of them will actually fire it in the right direction and actually aim it. Of that 100, there's perhaps 10 who are really warriors, and they make the battle. And of those 10 warriors, there's one who's a leader, and he wins the battle, not by himself, but because he inspires and directs those other ten who get the other ones from to, to face the enemy, to shoulder their weapon, to aim, to reload, to fire, to continue their actions, to advance, to follow orders under pressure. And they're not fighting against. People don't fight against. Only hatred. It, hatred doesn't work in, in, in a long-term situation. When you have groups like ISIS out there, they're fighting for hatred. They want to destroy. Um, those kind of people are, e- are fairly easy to defeat. All they want to do is destroy. They've got nothing to fight for. They don't even fight for each other. They, they have no loyalty to each other. They don't care. They want to destroy. American soldiers and American patriots here on the home front, they fight for something. We're fighting for our children, 
for our families, for grandchildren. We're fighting for liberty. And even if it means that we have to individually, if I have to individually give up, and I'm already giving up my anonymity, damn it, um, oh well, it's worth it. Because I want my kid, maybe someday if she has kids, maybe not if she doesn't, maybe somebody else's kid. I want 100 years from now, when none of us are alive, for there to be a kid in America who is an American, who knows what the Constitution is, who has freedom, who is nurtured, who is raised with decent values, who lives morally and justly, and who decides, I want to do what I want to do, and nobody interferes with that person without suffering the consequences of law. And law never interferes with that person, that child, unless that child is harming someone else. And that child is free to try what they want. They can try and fail. They can try and try and fail and fail. They can succeed. They can be a bum if they want. They can be an artist. They can be a a doctor. They can go into politics. They can work with their hands. They can work with the soil. They can work with technology. It's their choice, not some bureaucrat who thinks they know better because they've got a plan. That's what I'm fighting for. I think that's what all of us are fighting for. I agree. And speaking of that, it looks like uh, we may have uh, someone on our show next week um, who is uh, is doing some border patrolling with one of the militias down there. So you may be interested. I'll send you some uh, information. And you may have even heard of uh, it, uh, Dan. Uh, we're looking, I'm looking at, it's, let's see, I've got a couple of different names here, so I'm trying to differentiate uh, well, which one it's going to be. But um, the person to uh, come onto the show, we either talk about it, or perhaps it's from uh, him himself, is uh, that's Casey Massey. I don't know if that's a pseudonym awesome. or his uh, original name about what's uh, in Texas, about uh, some Border Patrol uh, issues and being arrested by the ATF, things of that nature. I'm doing uh, some preliminary research right now. Uh looked about having them on the show, so it could be a, a very interesting uh, topic and guest next week. I'm very pleased. So, oh, my gosh, I just see what time it was. Unbelievable. You know, Unfortunately, Bob, uh, we've got Bob. like six minutes left, but I totally lost track of time. My gosh. Well, uh, we'll look forward to see if we can uh, get that going for next week. And I don't even know if we'll have much time for uh, closing comments because there's like six minutes left and I'll have to shut things down. Uh, so I want to thank you, Terry, for coming on to the show. And I want to wish you the best of luck. And hopefully we can get something together between, you know, maybe I can get a hold of Mark Prasick or someone from Oath Keepers or, or Dan with. Uh, all of his resources that he has, maybe we can, you know, find something that can help you in your plight with what you're dealing with. But I really appreciate you coming on to the show. Uh, and so, you know, just you know, keep us posted, whether it's through Dan or or uh, look up Arts Logic Political Talk on Facebook. Uh, there's also a page and uh, a small group there if you'd like to check this out. Maybe uh, join there so you can keep us posted. Or you just uh, visit the Arts Logic Political Talk website and uh, send me a message through the contact page uh, as well, uh, if you could. I think it would be good to give Terry the last word. 
actually well, that's I why do. I was I really appreciate I, I appreciate the opportunity to uh to come on and tell this story and, and I don't do it out of out of any interest in the self interest, but I do it to let people understand what we're facing out here and that there is things that we can do about it. That we've got to be able to to get We've got to get control of our country back, and their courts are absolutely destroying this country. We'll definitely want to hear more about it. Keep, as I said, keep us posted. Uh, well, thanks, uh, Dan. Thanks, Cindy, for coming on. For all those uh, listening to the show, whether it's uh, live or on the archive uh, later, just uh, definitely take the link uh, you find here on Blog Talk Radio and uh, share it out for other folks can uh, listen and perhaps uh, with all the people out there can find some help uh, for Terry. And of course, if you are a Twitter user, uh, check out the Justice for Terry hashtag on Twitter and uh, tweet things out. But I see I must end tonight as I do every night, and that is by the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music by going to www.com. AubreyAshburn.com. So see you folks next week. Take care, and we will see you soon. Good night. God, God bless you, Terry. Mm-hmm.